Hi everybody and welcome to the Endless Cells podcast. I hope you're all well who's watching and I'm sure we'll have a lot to get stuck into. I'm joined by James and Gavin. How are you? I'm good. Oh, good. good. I'm looking forward to tonight, especially because it's a Friday. <laughs> what beers you on first? What what alcoholic beverage? I've got Peroni. Moretti. James, James what do you have? Orange Robinsons. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. That's one to let the squad down. I mean, to be fair, James, after this, you're probably going to need a drink. They get over it. But before we get into it, we've already had some early comments from Pat. I'm going to come on to them shortly. Just want to show you what's coming up. I do like that wee tune. I've seen you bobbing your head, Gavin. You know that pink song? Let's like, see that riff. It's very, very like that pink song. Na 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 na. It's just got a wee variation so that it can't get done for copyright, but very close. Oh. <laughs> don't. Well, you say that again out loud. Will we done for copyright? <laughs> Pat's in very early on there, so so no excuses for Rogers. Pam's in. Even oh, I hope you're all well. Uh, keep well. Baron Marathi, fabulous choice, Gav. Uh, Michael Mitchell, evening all, and then Pam, just for playing to Michael, or hello Michael from Pam. But look, <clears throat> James, I can see the grin on your face, you're ready, you've came loaded with stuff to say about what's going on. But first of all, I mean, let's start with the most uh, recent signing, a uh, third choice striker, let's not dress it up, from, from Norwich City, Irish International, over 20 caps, I think it's three goals. Um, he's played over 115 games for Norwich, and I think the the scoring records in the round 20. Not great reading, to be fair, but a lot of the clips I've seen of him, he plays out wide. He's quite strong. He's quite explosive. He's good with his feet. I heard someone say today that maybe the heading is not what he's meant for, even though he's six foot three and probably what we actually need up top to create that difference. And I think that the, the misconception is I'm seeing among a lot of supporters or even people who are looking outside in is we're giving Adamita a hard time. I, I totally don't think we are. I think we're just kind of highlighting where we are as a club. We've, we've went from the glorious EPL loan signings to signing a, a third-rate striker from Norwich City in the championship. He was struggling to get games. And look, that's no slight on the guy. I think that's more a slight on our recruitment policy, which we'll get into. But 
Adam Eaton's in the door, James. Again, he's a full Irish international. He's played up there with Mickey Johnson. Doesn't make great great reading, but it's it's a signing in the door at least. Uh, I it, 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 before I I know I need out going to end up moaning all night, but as you say, that's that's the nail in the heel. The criticism isn't directed towards Adam Eaton. He's just unfortunate and it's absolutely no his fault that the circumstances and the feeling among the support that he's walking into, that that is that is nothing a day with him. That doesn't fall on his shoulders. That's no his fault. Um he'll get backed. It's not as if he's going to get booed onto the park or anything like that, or he'll get backed, of course he will. Um and hopefully, myself included, obviously half a back of what you've just said there, hopefully we'll sit with egg in our face at the end of the at the end of the season, um, that's the ideal scenario. Um, I think coming into it, well, we, even last week, um, I'd say don't hear that I, I thought we would get down the route alone signings. I thought we'd be scrambling about towards the, the deadline, um, looking about the Premier League for guys that weren't going to get a game. Apparently, even my lowest expectations were overshooting the runway for this this Celtic <laughs> board and recruitment team. Um Aye, he'll get a chance while he's here, of course he will, but even the the structure of the deal um, ended up being a, a six-month loan. Um... Why does James' studio look like the inside of a shuttle as we all route the Mars? <laughs> I, fucking, I wish I was after that transfer one day, to be fair. <laughs> um, but nah, he'll get a chance while he's here. Um, obviously, as I say, he'll, he'll get the support, get everybody's support while he's here, but very, uh, the quote I read earlier was, I'm not even underwhelmed, I'm not even underwhelmed, I'm under, underwhelmed, um, and I think that just about sums it up, to be perfectly honest. Um, I actually seen a wee clip of his press conference, his kind of unveiling conference, and he, he said that he's, the first contact for Celtic was on Monday, so, mm-hmm. I mean, it is much of a panic as panic can be to bring a guy third choice striker for the championship and in loan for six months with no option to buy, no obligation to buy, nothing at all that if he comes in and does well that we're going to have a, a fee agreed for him. So, I you'll get my batting but I'm, to say I'm underwhelmed would be an understatement. I was underwhelmed when I signed Aramoy but at least he contributed in some shape or form for two or three months within the team, Gavin. And I think what what James said there is right. I mean, that one of the most ironic things is that um, Norwich signed a striker it looked like we originally wanted Sidney Van Hooydonk they, they've got him on loan with an option to buy and I know the agents towards them are trying to push that move but I think Celtic have just rejected that outright we've ended up with Adam Eda and, and like what, what, what James rightly said we do not want this guy to be a disappointment or not work out of course I want him to come up to Celtic Park and score goals and, and things like that but I think it's important as supporters and as a podcast and any other Celtic media that we have to highlight the issues that's going on within the club and sometimes I feel like people try and paint the pretty picture and, and maybe say, oh, the top targets we can't get to the summer. Or Again, it, it seems like every window where top targets aren't available, we'll move on to the next window. And it's the same cycle for years upon years upon years. And we've ended up, and again, it's no sugar sugarcoating it. A third uh, choice striker from Norwich coming into our team. And look, one of the, the most shabby bit of media things I've seen Celtic do is show that tricolor thing on his arm, the tattoo, as if like that's, Look, Celtic fans, he's, he's an Irish man. He, he's Irish through and through. Yeah, I just don't understand that. You know, if you're trying to sell them by showing them tattoos, it's it's incredible. But how are you feeling about it? And again, like just briefly, 
it's not Alameda that we want to feel. It's just shining a light on what this current situation is. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I agree with that sentiment. That it's not his fault. Like, if you think about it from his perspective or even his family's perspective, obviously, if you've got Irish links, then Celtic are a club that, that that's kind of close to you. Um, and the thought of your kid growing up to play for Celtic, it would be a dream come true for some people. Um, but the, the circumstances under which it's happening against this backdrop of discontentment with the fans, it's just the wrong time to, to sign for Celtic. Um, mm-hmm. other thing is he's probably not going to get that much game time, let, let's be honest. However, the, the criticism shouldn't be directed towards him. Um, I hope it doesn't distract him. The main thing is that he gets his head down. The one thing that I think we've all heard um, is that he's a worker. He's a hard worker. Um, as long so as man. he's got the right, right attitudes <laughs> and heart, then that, that is going to serve him right. It's a short-term solution, like, no getting away from, from that fact. Um, with all being away in the Asian Cup, um, I know that they're through to the, the semi-finals now, I think. They, they, get, they, they beat Australia. I was just saying that in the group chat. So that's going to prolong his absence with South Korea. Um, but whenever he returns back, you would imagine, you would imagine that Ida will be perhaps third choice anyway. Uh, o doesn't get that much game time anyway. So think about the amount of game time that Ida's going to get. As long as Kyogo is fit, that's very, very important for us. We've always said that, though. What happens if Kyogo uh, gets injured will really be up shit creek. Saying that, how much of a, an impact does that make? Because Kyogo doesn't really get the service that he used mm-hmm. to get last season. But with Ida, look, Roger speaks of his, his power and his physicality and unlocking his talent. Now, you could be cynical and saying, well, of course he's going to say that. He did actually sound genuine when he said that. But I guess you don't want to read too much into it anyway. But as you said, six foot three. And the the, the, the word on the street is he's not a very good header of the ball. He's actually better yeah. with the ball at his feet. And some of the Norwich fans would say, well, that doesn't say much because he's not very blessed technically. Um, we'll find out what he's like. But things are so, if you're a pessimist, you could say that things are so bad right now. So let's not write, write the guy off. Let's just, if he is half decent, then that's a positive. As I said, he's not going to get much game time. The focus is on Kyogo um, providing the goods, but we'll see. At least we've got, at least it ticks one one box, and that's um, depth, strength and depth. That's what we needed, and that's what we've got with him. So I hope he does well. See, what do you say? Go ahead, then. Sorry, sorry, I was just going to say, just to touch on what you're, you're saying there, Gav. Um, as, you, as you say, Kyogo obviously is the, the main man. If we're being totally honest, he's he's no really for the majority of this season been anywhere near it. So mm-hmm. obviously compared to last year. So me personally, maybe I'm asking for too much, evidently so. But I was looking for a guy to come in and challenge Kyogo. I don't think Kyogo on current form and I get that styles the, the style plays into it. I'm looking for a guy to come in and challenge Kyogo. I personally don't think O's good enough. So if this guy's coming in, he'd be third choice behind O. Then I it's a number, but if if that's and I, I would agree with everything you've said there, but it just seems utterly pointless to me if he's if we've brought a guy in and loan for six months to be a third choice that's probably not going to play. I, I guess that harks into the other thing is what was our expectations for the January transfer window, and the bigger picture is the mismanagement and how it's came to this position. But make no mistake, we're in, we're in a title race right now, and. We've, we've under-delivered, and this is the guy that we've got. 
So we just need to. This is this is our squad now. We've got rid of some people. We've we've got into people. We just need to make the best of a bad situation. But yeah, can't disagree with your thoughts. I think as well, like you you said there about the what was our expectation for the January window? Our expectations were set early on by Rogers. He's the one who made noise about quality players coming in the door. And I have to agree with Michael Mitchell in the comments. A quality player coming in to sit in the bench. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I think like James, if we're if we're looking to improve our squad, albeit look, Kyogo's an outstanding player and he's been sensational since he's been at Celtic, but you look to improve on the starting lineup. You look to bring players in to make an immediate impact. And, and Roger spoke about not bringing in any more squad players. He said that openly in a press conference a few times. And then we'll go on to his comments today, James. He was talking today. And by the way, I have to say kudos to him. At the 20 minute Tins, they, they were along at the, at the fan media press conference. And by all accounts, they asked the questions that, that most people wanted asked at, at that moment in time. And they were asking him about the windows and about being successful and about the quality player aspect of things. And it just feels like to me that he's totally backtracked and he's coming out now saying he understands the model, that he, he understood it when he came in, but now he understands it more. Again, it doesn't make any sense to me. But And then he says about the balance. Now, this is the thing that, that people picked up on in our group chat. We've seen how explosive our group chat was last night. It was incredible, by the way. Just the back and forth. Gavin had to put it on, put it on mute. That was that bad. But... um. Like he said the word balance, and in among that, he, he kind of mentioned, look, I know the, the, the aspect of bringing in players and minimal fees, and it makes the players, it makes the, the club a lot of money if they're successful, but then he wants to bring in that ready made player to come in and make an impact on the squad. So far, during his tenure, the, the second time, he's not brought in a ready made player. You could argue Palma, but still, bits of Palma's game is, I mean, it's, it's flatters to deceive. A full 90 minutes out of Palma is. I don't know. You can't you can't find it at the minute, albeit the stats are good. But he says one thing, James, before the window, and it feels like to me it's Rogers, yeah, but he's accepting the status quo at the minute and he's not pushing any boundaries. And he mentions being braver in recruitment. Was he brave in pushing the board? I don't think he was. It seemed like he was just ex- I mean Adamita, for example, he even referenced it. He came in and he's going to unlock the potential. And he said that about Nicholas Coon. He said he said them them lines about various players. And it just feels like, I mean, none of the players he's brought in are, are the ones of his liking anyway. Uh, I, I said my piece on Rogers last week and I still stand by everything that I've said. Um, I wouldn't really trust much of what he says. And I think all season he's tried to play both sides. Even in his press conference today, he did try and do that. And look, I'm no criticising Rogers for that press conference. I actually thought he handled it pretty well for... The, the situation he found himself in. I, I thought he's, his answers kind of, at least to me anyway, it told me that he was frustrated. He didn't get what he wanted. But obviously, we we can sit here and we can say it's nepotism, this, that, and the next thing, because obviously, at the end of the day, it doesn't have any impact on us. Brendan Rogers obviously can't come out and say that. But I think that, I mean, the, the wee snippet that Clyde tweeted it, um, about him saying that what was it the board wasn't or the club wasn't brave enough, and then it led mm-hmm. into him saying it was something that he had to fix in the summer. Now you watch that, the just the wee snippet for Clyde, it doesn't really put it in context. So you're like, right, I'll, I'll wait till I see it. And the question that was asked that led into that um, was, do you think that, that you've been here for two windows now? Do you think that's that you've been successful in those windows? 
That's an I know question. He could have turned around and went, yeah, I think we've brought in numbers. I think that Palm is quality. I think Kuhn will be quality. Adam Eda's here, Polster, um, the forward line. But he, he didn't say that. He, he stepped back for that. And he gave a bit of a politician's answer. But eventually it led him to saying that the club needs to be braver moving forward to bring in these ready-made first-team players. I wouldn't say his goal was, he went as far as to throw the board and the recruitment side under the bus because it felt as if he was kind of purposely maybe throwing wee digs at them, but then kind of stepping back for it and putting a wee, a wee shield on them to defend them. It was a group effort and all that kind of stuff. But the, the one word that I took away from it that was telling is he said that he needs to fix it in the summer. Now, mm. My standard grade English might be failing me here, but you only need to fix something if it's broken. So is he telling us that, in his opinion, the recruitment strategy and the recruitment side there is broken and it's something that he needs to fix in the summer? And but why has he defended it for so long? Exactly. But as I say, he needs to remember, like, if obviously he's got his own employment to look out for at the end of the day as well. And I think he needs to keep his cards quite close to his chest. And I think at the end of the season, I know it's probably something we'll come on to discuss, but I can see a scenario at the end of the season where Brendan Rodgers walks away um, if he's not going to get what he wants. I think that's a, a possibility. Um, but I, I think as well, there seems to be this, you're either, you're either a bedwetter, which I, I'm a bedwetter, or you're a bedwetter as well, Stephen, or you're a happy clapper and everything's fine. But I think that there is, the, the in-between is there. The, the issue, at least for myself anyway, the issue the issue was near the January transfer window. Of course, it's a part of it because the January transfer window has been horrendous. The issue hasn't even been since Brendan Rodgers came in. The signings since then, by and large, have been horrendous as well. It's wider than that. I mean, if we go look, look back, is it the last four transfer windows? <laughs> the last four transfer windows, we've signed two first-team players, Alistair Johnson and, and Lewis Palmer. And Palmer is definitely a downgrade on who he replaced in Jota. Alistair Johnson is mere debatable, but I would still say he's probably a downgrade based on what we've seen this season. But I'll give benefit of the doubt. So um, that that's one player. So it's it's wider than that. And the last four transfer windies just so happened to have been when we've brought in Mark Lawwell mm. as head of recruitment. So as I say, the issue for me is not just solely January. It's just the the wider kind of feeling at the club and how I think the club's going. I, I genuinely am of the opinion that our transfer strategy is just to throw enough shit at the wall and eventually some will stick. Because that, that yeah. is basically what we've done. For every Matt O'Reilly, you've got a Kobayashi, a Hak Sabanovic, Janade Gucci. Do you know what I mean? There's all these guys. So, I, I know I've been off on a wee bit of a tangent there, but in terms of his press conference today, um, I, I thought he kind of danced the line pretty well. Um, he handled it pretty well, but it, it, it laid out to me that he's frustrated. You would be. You have to be frustrated with what you've been given, the tools you've been handed so far. Do you know what I mean? And you, you look at it, Gavin, as well. And like what James said, by all accounts, he handled it well because it would have been pressure. The questions would have been quite cutting from the fan media side of things anyway. And the usual stuff, he bats it off and it's a group effort and he says things like that. One of the most telling things for me was that what James actually said there, throwing enough shit against the wall. We contacted Adam Ida on Monday. Do you know what I mean? And the deal was completed. So obviously he wasn't really in our thoughts till the end of the window. 
we were scrambling around for a left back. Bueno from Wolves, we got knocked back from um, Kurzawa. And I'm probably butchering the names, I do apologise, from PSG. That kind of went nowhere because of the wages, which you probably expected anyway. We couldn't get that kind of level of wage in, and that's fair enough. But it's all over the place. And if you go back to when Brendan first came in, he's saying, oh, one of the things that attracted me again was the recruitment team, everything's on the ball, blah, blah, blah. And then, as James said, the the language started to change in around November. The quality aspect came in. His, James's favourite word, he probably hates hearing it now. Quality, 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 blah, blah, blah. All these players, four players coming in. Cal McGregory from reference, four additional players coming in. And I get the fact that maybe it's hard to do. That's fair enough. And I think Rogers actually tried to put the blame on other clubs in the press conference. Again, probably deflecting from maybe Celtic trying to bargain by or trying to wind down fees. We know we know what haggled over 300 k for Kuhn. But are you trying to tell me if he thought the recruitment process was kind of damaged or needed a wee bit more improvement after the summer, he's not having meetings with Mark Lowell saying, look, I want another level of player in. I want you to start scouting these leagues, these teams, get me a list of targets, and then we can hit them in January. For me, it does not seem like that at all. And I, I said it before and I said it on Twitter, the lights don't go off after the end of every window. Recruitment is a continuous process that you need to keep doing to be striving to be better as a club. And so far, Celtic have totally failed in that aspect. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Look, there's so many points for me to kind of come back on. Let, the last point that you made about um, recruitment, it needs to be an ongoing thing. Of course, it's not. Like if, you're, if you're a scout, if you're a working in the recruitment department for Celtic, it's not, it's not a seasonal seasonal job. You know, it's, it's a, a continuous job. Um, you should always be prepared. Um, so whenever the window opens, you're able to pull the pull the trigger and get the players in. Um, th- th- there's so many points. Uh, Go whenever for it. We're, whenever we're talking about Rogers and how he handled the press conference and the fact that he never really he never truly threw anyone under a bus, um, I think that was the right approach, and I'll tell you why. Um, because, as I said, the window is shut now. We need to make best of a bad situation. We're in a, do- a dogfight right now for this title race. And if we start having um, public fighting, uh, then it's a, it's a bad look. It's already a bad look to the fans, to the people who really care. We know it's a bad situation, but if Roger starts arguing with the board and the media, then it's not going to work out well, OK? There will be a fight. In the summer, okay, like there will be a reckoning. Things need to happen in the summer. Change needs to happen. But between now and then, we, we all need to be in unison if that is possible, at least the manager and the players. We don't need to give them any further distractions. Um, James was talking about the division among the fans, and I know we'll kind of get to that later, but it's kind of like a happy clapper or a bedwetter. And I, I hate to see that. Um, but the... the People can I say, like, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's a lot of nuance to this. Um, the, the actual press conference that you had today, like, there was a few things that I, I was I was going to try to take away from it. Obviously, as you said, uh, Stephen, so he acknowledges the, the success of the current model of bringing in players for a low fee with room for development and then selling them on for a profit. But he also clearly expresses that he wants the club to be brave in recruitment for ready-made players, in his mm. own words. And you can clearly see that he's not content with simply continuing with the current model. 
he says that we need to have a balance about a both. And whenever he joined, like this is another thing, the mystery of why he joined Celtic, whenever like there's been no change at all, and the, the, the kind of sound bites that he was airing whenever he started the job. The second thing now, and then he says, I'm aware of how things are in place are much more smoother, more professional, more slick. Are they fuck, you know? Um and they're fucking shocking, Gavin. It didn't happen in the summer, and it's not happened in January. And he never did his due diligence. You would think that Rogers is savvy enough right now, working with clubs, and he should have done his due diligence, whether it was his contacts, his agents. He should have knew what was under the carpet with Celtic before he joined us. And I don't know if like Rogers will be off in the summer, but for the time being, I think he's. I think he's doing like he's going into Machiavellian mode right now and he's smiling for the cameras, but you know that he's probably seething. Um, the other thing for the, the press conference, he says, like, I've got a sense that we're looking for someone to blame. That's not what this club is about. And he said, the minute there's separation, then this becomes a difficult club. But clearly there is separation. There's separation yep. of ambition between Brendan Rogers and the board. You can't take the fans for fools with that. Now, Brendan Rogers, he needed strong recruitment in the summer. That wasn't meant. That wasn't met. He went public for our need for four quality signings in January, and again, that hadn't been met. So clearly, clearly, there's a fracture. There's a division. We're not working as one entity to the, to achieve a, a collective goal, which is what we should be striving for. It's like every department in Celtic have got their own kind of KPIs, their own wee targets to meet, and it's like, well, I've done my job, what have you done? And mm -hmm. you know that the board is obviously going to be um, navigating about money, that's going to be their main goal, uh, whereas Brenda just has to go on with the, the, the playing side of things. But this season, we've got clear evidence <laughs> that the politics and the power struggles behind closed doors are undermining the chance of uh, sustained progress as a club. Now, we're only just kind of keeping our heads above the, the water. That's merely what we're doing. Just one step ahead of our closest rivals. And with forward planning and being, as Roger says, a little bit braver, we could be giving ourselves clear breathing distance in our domestic league. And that will kind of safeguard our, our financial superiority with like European uh, football. Now, the one thing I'd finish up on, we knew when we were talking about it in our group chat yesterday, there's a lot of division with us and how we feel that the, the, the situation is. I think you can look at it in two different kind of resolutions. One is we've got a problem right now this season and the fact that we're in this title race when we already had that at an eight-point gap. That's the one problem. Now, some people are saying it's not it's not the end of the world. We can still manage it. We'll still get a good enough squad to get us to the end of the season. You can argue about that. That's one problem. However, the wider scale problem is mm -hmm. the continuous mismanagement of not everyone being in harmony, not everyone being in unison. And this season is a symptom of this continuous mismanagement. So it's two different problems and you can agree or disagree on either of them, but that's that's how I would phrase our current situation. Gavin, I missed all that. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think as well, people are, are looking for honesty. And look, I don't like to bring him up because he's not with our club anymore, but Pasta Caldwell came out today and said he was openly disappointed with the window that Spurs had. What was wrong with Rodgers basically with saying that? You mentioned the fact that the fighting, we know there's disconnect between the board and the management team. We know there's disconnect between the board and the supporters. So the club is divided 
as it's ever been at the moment. And you're right, we will touch upon that. And I mean, James, let's move right into it. Gav brought it up. Rogers here in the summer. Is he holding off? Is, is this myth that keeps getting paddled that the top targets aren't available to the summer window? He's waiting, biding his time. And I think Lee in the comments there looks like a, a new uh, contributor. Thanks for joining us in, in, in the comments as well, buddy. Said Rogers openly said in the press conference today that players wanted to come. Where are they? <laughs> so it, it's it's a, it's a strange situation for me. And I, I'm going to be 100% honest, like you always have in this podcast. I couldn't care if he stays. If he goes, he goes. And at the, at the minute, all I would want is truth and honesty from him as to why he would leave. And I think we could see it, but just to have it confirmed, because Gavin's right. It's the, the summer window, he was back with Pish. He wanted four quality players in, in, in the January uh, transfer window. Didn't get them. He got a third-rate striker and Nicholas Kuhn, by all accounts, looks decent, but he's not the quality bracket that I think Roger, Rogers was asking for. So he's asked for this continuously. He's put out wee sound bites in, in, in the media and nothing's happened. And it's the continuous path that it seems to be happening right now where Rogers is putting on that face, doing the press conferences, doing the, the management side of things, and you're getting half of him. I don't think we're getting all of him. I think we're getting a half-baked Brendan Rogers at the minute, and that's not good for anybody. Don't get me wrong. Brendan, as much as I'm saying I think he handled that press conference quite well, I, I say that in the sense that if he did come out all guns blazing, and have a go at have a go at the board, um, have a go at the signings, then it, it really genuinely, especially with the run of fixtures we've got coming up, it could all unravel really, really quickly if he was to do that. So I can totally understand why he didn't do that. But Brendan Rogers is their martyr through all this. Brendan Rogers is, is fed into this massively. I mean, we've spoke pretty much non-stop about this word quality for the last, what, since the start of December, end of November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brendan Rogers set that expectation. I mean, I don't think there's probably a Celtic supporter that hasn't uttered that word quality um, since he said it. So he, he set the bar, he set the standard so high. And as I said last week, this notion that it's impossible to sign players in January, uh, that, that doesn't wash with me. That's <laughs> that, that doesn't wash with me. It's just, it's an excuse, really. And the notion is, is you're saying we need to wait to the summer. Well, we're going to need to wait to the summer now, obviously. But but we were told we were told in the summer wait to January. Wait to January exactly, <laughs> and, 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 and there tends to be a a bit of rewriting the history, you know, that when Rogers came in, it would have been impossible to do anything in the summer. Rogers was in pretty early in the summer. Would have been right in saying it was only a couple of weeks after the Scottish Cup final because it was yeah. a pretty quick turnaround. Um, so, uh, and, and as I say, like, he says things and it fucking it, it just confuses you because there's even after the game last week, um, last weekend, the Ross County thing with the booing, and he got asked after it, um, about the booing. And what was it he says? He says, I've, I've had it since I came back. If it's not me, it's the it's the board, the board, so, yeah. And I run about why he's, he's having a go at the support to bow down to the board and defend the board, but then. Fast forward a few days at the end of the transfer window, he's thrown wee barbs out at the board himself. So, as I say, he's no matter through all this. He doesn't. He doesn't get half scot free. As much as we're moaning about the uh, the transfers and things like that, that squad is still massively, massively underperforming. Out with Matt O'Reilly, there is not one player in that team that has improved for what they were previously. Um. So, I ah. Uh, 
What was the question? <laughs> I just went off and I'm tiny. Basically, basically, in a roundabout way, is he going to be the manager next season? Right. So there's a thought process, I know, that is he potentially working his ticket? I, I don't subscribe to that. I, I don't think so. But is he setting out stall early and then if he doesn't get back, he could be away? Possibly. But I, I just don't see where this sudden change of heart is going to come for in the boardroom. If they've not done it previously, and as I say, Rogers was in early doors in the summer. I think most people would have said we need a left-back and a goalkeeper, even in the summer. Arguably another striker as well as we were kind of talking about last week. So, we didn't date in the summer. He's then told us we'll date in January. No done it in January. Now we're getting told we'll date next summer. The reality is, next summer, Joe Hart is out of contract, so we're going to have yep. to deal with the goalkeeper position. Forrest is out of contract. Uh, to be fair, he, he's not really contract. I mean, players that are going to be... In terms of number I, not exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, Matt O'Reilly, you're 99% sure he's he's going to be away anyway. So, I mean, you're arguably, and that's before you even think you guys like Hitati and Kyogo potentially moving on, especially if Kyogo's no hitting the heights um, under Rogers' management. So, th- there's a thought process as well that come the summer, we could be looking at a, a, a quite a substantial rebuild because it's first-team players we're losing. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is because of the fucking negligence last summer and then the total refusal to do anything in January. So this this idea that if we win the league this year, we've banked another 60 million. We were sitting with 70 million in the bank and we, we wouldn't touch it. We're coming, out and we're coming out of this transfer one day with a slight profit, which is mental considering we were told about we were signing four quality signings. So... I, I absolutely can see a, a world where Brendan Rodgers is near the Celtic manager next year. And as much as I've had a go at him there and said he's trying to play both sides, see if it got to the summer and he didn't get it what he wanted, he went, fuck you, I'm off. I, I could not have a go at the guy. He had that right, mm. fair enough. And the thing that I just find strange through it all is this is the same board. Granted, they've fucking swapped seats at the table, but it's the same board, it's the same people that shafted Brendan Rodgers the first time round with the John McGinn and all the rest of it. We all know the stories. So he's come back into that. And at the time, pretty much we were unanimous in assuming this is going to be the one time that we're actually we're in a position of strength. We've just won a treble. We're going to kick on and dominate again. And for whatever reason, and there isn't an excuse, there's just a reluctance to do that. The... the I think the simplest way I can put it is that the board are holding his back and I don't know mm-hmm. why they're doing it. I don't see any reason or any excuse for them to do it. And it's just, it's baffling. And as I say, if it gets to the summer and we're getting served up maybe the same, then a 100% could see Brendan Rodgers just turn around and say, no thanks, that's enough for me, I'm away. Yeah. See, to be fair, Gavin as well, that on the James said, in the comments and even within the podcast as well, I have seen that, that the narrative switch so drastically to people saying they're they're comfortable, not maybe comfortable, but they're known in the thought that Rogers might be away in the summer. There's a lot of people, Michael McDonald in there, Monty saying it, Plunges saying it, Sam Fran, people who are always commenting in the podcast as well. And it's 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 crazy because this season we always say a club like no other. This season feels like a season like no other. And we had the COVID season, but there's just a strange kind of atmosphere around this season. 
there's a strange feeling. You get Celtic maybe two or three games and they're excellent, and the next three they're absolutely shit. And it, there's there's just no in between with the club at the minute. And then Rogers himself, and look, people may say we're being negative, but I I don't think we are. I think we're really does again shining the light on what's actually happening within the club. And there there's a Twitter account called the Grand Old Team. I think it's that. Forgive me, and it's not. But he always posts his finances, right? He was posting today about the Celtic finances compared to the Rangers finances, and he was he was saying and basically in a roundabout way, Gav and James mentioned that why are we doing this? What's the logical reason? And he basically upfront said that the Celtic board are happy to keep them at arm's length, so they they, they kind of succeed in a way, and they're there to challenge us, and that shouldn't be the case because. We, we should be looking to drive on. We should be looking to be investing money left, right and centre and taking advantage of the horrible state they're actually in as a club. I mean, Rangers in that instance. And every year, it seems to be penny pinching even more. This January, again, penny pinching that it has when we had 72 million in the bank. And it doesn't help when in the AGM when they're kind of clapping it and saying we've got all this income sitting there ready to be spent and blah, blah, blah. And none of it does. And and then again, the, the main guy, Gavin, that, that's that's Rogers. What's going to happen with him? And is he towing the line to the end of the season? The, the stamp is his travel card to go back to Mallorca and, and put his feet up for the year that he actually wanted to in the first place? Because you asked it, why did he come back in the first place if this is this is the stuff he's being served up? Yeah, um, it's mystifying. It really is. Uh, Trying to trying to kind of fathom his motivations for coming back. Surely, surely he did it for footballing reasons. I know that you might say that his family's comfortable up here, but you never, you don't. You're a manager. You move around from pillar to post. You know that's the nature of the game. You don't come back to Glasgow for for family reasons in the goldfish bowl. He came back for football reasons, and surely he was promised X, Y, and Z, and it's not turned out that way. So, is he going to stay? If he is going to stay, then he'll need to get cast iron guarantees, whatever they're worth, in order to stay. But he's not going to stay if he's uh if he's trying. He's talking about fixing, you know, like force and change, you know, from like a, a this strategy which is very very inflexible. And he's talking about affecting change to that. How is he going to do that? If it's going to remain the same, then he'll be gone. So I think. I think Brendan staying or Brendan going, I think it's genuinely on a knife edge um, without sounding dramatic. And you said like, you couldn't really care less if he, if he left. And that that is like a, an insight into how it is as fans right now. If you look over the past like 20 odd years, you know, since Lowell has come in, it's been, I know obviously it's been a very, very successful um, spell for Celtic domestically. Um, but it's kind of, from an entertainment perspective and like us kind of pushing on as a club, in peaks and troughs, it really has been obviously highs with Martin O'Neill, highs with Gordon Strachan, whether you like to admit it or not, and what, Tony Mowbray, you know, Ronnie Dyla, Lowe's, um, and then Neil Lennon, the, the highs and the lows of Neil Lennon, and bringing in Ange, where it's, well, Ange, we were looking as progressive as we have been for a long time on the ranch, the way that we were going. Um, and then we bring in Brendan Rogers. We think we've got some sort of continuity. But nope, we got right back to square one with Brendan Rogers. He looks like he's came back and he's been neutered. And it looks like Peter Lawwell has came back in through the back door. And it looks like we're just going back to reverting back to, to plan A. <clears throat> It's 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 difficult to stomach from a fan's point of view. Um, so I I don't know if he's going to stay or go. 
if it put this way, see if it does go. But I, I get, I get him kind of towing the party line in the media and stuff like that because you're not going to throw your dummies at the pram midway through the season. Um, the other thing would be that would put him off. Or like I said that in a, in a comment in one of the, the previous episodes. I said that he would put off new suitors, like new chairman, people who are going to recruit Brendan Rodgers as our next manager. If Brendan Pure gives it to the board's thinking, they'll be like, well, I don't want a new manager who behaves like that. It's kind of unprofessional whether we like it or not. As fans, we've got the prerogative to, to kind of, you know, be as honest and as critical uh, as we want to. But from a, a manager's point of view, to an extent, you do need to kind of tell, tell white lies here and there. So I don't know, mate. I think it's 50-50 whether he stays or goes. But you, you said it there, it looks unprofessional, but from very early on, Gavin Postacoglu wasn't afraid to call out the board. So there has to be an aspect of, yeah, you told the party line, and I hate that, by the way, to told the party line, I think freedom of speech and say whatever you want, but I do get it in terms of an employment thing. But you look at it as well, like Postacoglu was very forthright, very forceful in his opinions, and he stuck to them, and he basically got what he wanted. This time around, to me anyway, it feels like you're accepting what you've been given. That's that for me is the part that's unacceptable from the Rogers point of view. I get that maybe his hands are tied that he can't say, "Look, I want this guy because he causes X amount, but his wages are seventy grand a week." I I, I can understand that. Maybe Rogers was speaking about that today in terms of the, the other clubs would have part ways and stuff. You can get that, but you can't be you can't be saying that that he's sitting there and he, he's happy with what he's getting. It just baffles me. It it, it really does. Uh, he's been shafted twice. He, he, he'll be seething. Uh, I'm sure of that. I'm sure he'll be seething. But he needs to put on a different face to the media, sadly. Just after the back, someone's just clicked my head after the back of what you were saying there. Um, you were saying about, we were talking about Rogers saying the board need to be braver. This is the same guy last week, and I will reference this point. He came out and said that we wouldn't spend £20 million on a player. Nobody's asking. I'll caveat that and say, I still don't expect us to go. We could have fucking two hundred million pound in the bank. I don't think we spend twenty million pound on a player. But is that no kind of flying in the face? Literally a week apart. We need to be braver, but we will never be able to spend X amount of money. And as I say, I, I'm no for a second saying we go and spend twenty million pound. As I said last week, it's a nothing statement. It was never going to happen. But I mean, why can we not go and spend six, seven, eight, nine, even ten million pound in a player? And I get. They, they come obviously with a, a junkier wage, but you, you can't in one week say, ah, we'll never be able to pay X amount on players, and then the next week say, ah, well, we need to be a wee bit brave on stop kind of shop in this two, three, four million pound bracket. So, again, he is trying to play both sides, and it's in that press conference today, I, I totally understand it because I think he's done enough for me at least to. Um, it, it tells me that he's frustrated, but obviously he has to watch what he's saying. And as I say, if he came out and he had a go at everybody, then the players really that he signed, the players that are in the squad, as much as we might not think they're good enough, we still are going to have to rely on them. They'll be turning around and going, I hold on a minute. So is that what you think of me? Do you know what I mean? So they could down tools. So I get that. And that's why I'm saying it could unravel pretty quickly. So I'll actually I'll praise him for his press conference today. Um, but up until that point, the things that he's saying, it's just, it's like he's, he is literally changing what he's saying with the with the wind one, and it's frustrating. As I say last week, literally as recently as last weekend, he's coming out and defending the board and having a wee dig at the fans, and then this week it's it's all change again. So, aye, just moan, 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 moan. 
Mull. Yeah, we, we love a good Mull on here. By the way, Ross is going to love you for, for saying you're praising him today. Uh, Michael McDonald, <clears throat> we win the we win the league and the season fades away quietly. Then boom, next season is a builder. They better have something big planned to make up for this mundane pace. That is a that's a hundred percent what we're all kind of the hope is, Gab, isn't it? That you push it further down the road, you kick the can down the road. It's going to be the the summer window. No, we we'll have to wait the the January window. Now nah, we'll wait the, the summer again to get the top targets in. But I want to have a, a just a kind of a chat here about the the guys who seem to be leading the process that Rogers is absolutely praised, backtracked on, praised again, backtracked, and then he wants to find a balance within the recruitment team. So w- within this team, Mark Lowell, Gavin, came in from the City Group. I don't know what his position was there, but it, it definitely was, was not Chief Scout. I don't know if he was typing stuff on the computer, but he's not qualified to be the head of our recruitment team. Uh, Craig Strachan, who I didn't know, by the way, I think someone put it in our group chat, that um, he was our European lead scout. And his his LinkedIn page makes for quite interesting reading, Gavin. Before he got one of the top jobs at Celtic for recruitment, he was a manager in a golf shop. That, that for me, says everything. And I want to kind of amalgamate a second question into this. Do they have the credentials for this job, or is it just jobs for the boys, Mark and Peter, Gordon and Craig? And Gavin. Right. Okay, um, for Mark Lovell, I don't know what his specific position was at the City Group. Um, I thought that it was fairly high up, um, but I thought that whenever he first joined, like we had the sound like that, or it was Ange who who uh, <laughs> who um, already knew him, had worked with him, and uh, it was Ange who wanted him, which is kind of funny in a way because. The rumor was, was it James? James, did you make this this very same point? Like, the rumor was that how Eddie Howe backed out because he couldn't bring in his own director of football. And like, I've heard a lot, I've heard a lot of pundits say you can't bring in your own head of recruitment because then you you'll be in cahoots, you know. And uh, the, the 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 club need to appoint their own man as the head of recruitment or the, the director of football. So. It's ironic that if that is true, that we knock back Eddie Howe because of that stipulation, whereas Ange managed to bring in his own man. So, James, I'm totally ripping off your point of view. So that, that that's very ironic. Um, I thought that Mark Lowell's CV, as far as I was aware, it was quite respectable prior to joining Celtic. His, obviously, the CV, the, the work that he did at City. Um, so I thought that it would work to our favour. And obviously, the, the kind of promise of using his network within the city group as well. I thought that would be a real asset. I also thought that if his name was whatever Joe Vlogs, Mr. Smith, rather than the name Lawwell, then there would be little reason for pessimism. However, his track record now is different. It puts him under scrutiny. Um, the credit that he's got in the bank is drawn to a close. As far as Craig Strachan, I never knew about Craig Strachan until yesterday <laughs> whenever James, I think, put it in the group chat. I'd never heard of the guy. And at first I was thinking, well, I, I, I thought I thought he was talking about Gavin Strachan. Um, but then obviously <laughs> I kind of got on Craig Strachan. He's like 41 years old. He's a failed footballer. I think he played for Coventry and then some other Rochdale. really, really low team. He is by far, by far underqualified for the job. You think of ex-professionals who would love to remain within the game, who have got a plethora of knowledge. 
and they would they would bite your hand off to, to go traveling here and there and everywhere and put in the hours, the hard graft to to, to do scouting to unearth gems. Uh, unearth gems, gems, fuck me. Gems. Germs? Wow. But you've got people who are very, very passionate about it, who put in the groundwork, you know, since they were a, a child at the start of their football career. And this guy, Craig Strachan, is trading on his father's name. He's still mm-hmm. a very, very young man at 40, 41 years old. And it sounds like he's got a relatively high position within our recruitment department. That's not cool. That's unfair. He's underqualified for the job. Um, that's bang out of order. We talk about nepotism. That is clear and utter nepotism. I'm against it. It's not It's not yeah. healthy for the club. Think yeah. about it. Putting people in positions of power, people of influence, why would you do that? We're shooting ourselves in the foot. Put the put the highest qualified person in the job. Like, are you telling me that if we went for if there was a, a round of job interviews and you had people who were good CVs, you know, um, and, and they showed passion for the job, and then this guy comes in, did we just say no, you guys, it's okay, but we'll call you if another position comes up. We've got Craig Strachan. How did he manage to to, to sidestep that that procedure? I don't get it. It sounds like affirmative action for jobs for the boys. I don't like it at all. It's like when we were trying to find the advisor, James, to help Celtic with something at the time, and we landed on Gordon Strachan <laughs> on the, as a part, part-time part advisory board, and he was still full-time with Dundee. Absolute tin-pot stuff. And, it, I mean, Gavin, kind of good sidetrack. You said there that um, Craig Strachan is living off his dad's name. They were what, stepbrothers? Dale? Was living off his dad. He was a doctor, and he was like, "This is a house for the learner doctors." Like, oh, your dad's a doctor. <laughs> that, that's exactly what that's like in, in terms of living off or riding on someone's coattails. And Ga- James, quietly, you slipped in, Gavin, and I thought you were poking fun at our Gavin, but then it clicked. Gavin Strachan, Craig Strachan, Gordon Strachan, and then you've got um, Mark Lowell and Peter. And I totally agree with Gavin. When, when Mark Lowell first came in, I think we were all kind of like, "Ah, oh, same old name." But he had like he 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 seemed to work well with Ange. He seemed to get the targets in quickly that he wanted. Obviously, working with him and his former Japanese club, they worked together. I think Ange said that in the press conference, and um, that looked good. It's all changed now. It just feels like as Gavin said, we're back to dusting it off the shelf, pulling out the filing cabinet, seeing what we can find, and then hope it sticks. Like like you referenced, James, and it's just not good enough. I mean. You look at scouts, and I, I don't like I don't like to focus on the club across the city, but they've pulled out. I think for me, a, a coup, like a coup, in my opinion, with the guy they got from Farnoth, their head of recruitment. They've brought him in to head up their head of recruitment, and he, he by all accounts, he's done quite well with them in terms of buying players, selling players for high fees. Why why can we not think outside the box instead of sticking to the same old names and the same old script? Ah, exactly. That's it. Is I said on here the last couple of weeks. Who did these guys beat at the recruitment process? You're assuming we're advertising these jobs, you know what I mean? And interestingly enough, on the, the Craig Stratton thing, um, as you say, um, he was the, the manager of a golf course or a golf show, whatever it was, um, prior to him getting a position at Celtic. Was, it, only was, other... it, was it foot golf? Was it foot golf? That's all right then. It's good technique. Good technique. But see, prior to that, he's only. Uh, obviously apart from being a kind of low-level player, his only experience within football was as a scout at Celtic 
oh, it shows in his LinkedIn profile between 2007-2009. Now, I'll give you one guess to guess who our manager would have been within that time Gordon. period. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I, it's the same with Gavin Stratton as well. Like, I know he's kind of sliding under the radar now because like, Rogers is in front and centre. <laughs> but nobody is going to tell me that... W- We've plucked that guy for relative obscurity, Peterborough United, because he was a great coach and the best man for the job. And look, I'm not saying the guy's a bad coach. The reality is, I don't know if the guy's a good or a bad coach, but I just find that he's no. Like, there's only basically there's only one reason why why he's in at Celtic. Um, and on the Mark Global thing, I must admit, I did get back. Obviously, I'm posting in the forums as well. So I went back and had a look just, just to see what my thoughts were at the time. And I think I'd said something. I stand by it today. Um, on paper, it's a good appointment. But I would be interested to see what the recruitment process was. Or is it just the face fits? And it, it genuinely still... I've pretty much just said the same thing there um, two years or whatever it is later. But <laughs> my thing where it is... You bring in a head of recruitment. Your first transfer window isn't great. Fair enough, you're maybe getting up to speed, getting on with how things work. Your second transfer window isn't great. Right, maybe we need to start asking a couple of questions here. But then if transfers three and four somehow manage to be worse than each other, surely at that point, it's not just a case of, ah, oh, you fucking scamp, Mark Lowell. Do you know what I mean? Surely at that point, you need to ask genuine questions about the guy in his position. Look, when Ange Postacoglu came in, and look, I know we fucking all talk about him as if like, he's our ex, but when he came in, he, he literally done everything. Bearing in mind, this is a club that we're looking for a director of football that, what, three or four years later, still haven't appointed a director of football. <laughs> the reason for that is because Ange was doing it. We got lucky with Ange, and obviously, the, the, look, I'm not going to say Ange didn't sign some duds, because the reality is he did, but... Ange Postacoglu's hit rate, especially in that first period, it was fucking spot on. So the board's mm-hmm. thinking, oh, we've won a watch here. We don't need to bother getting this head of recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, director of FIPA. Oh, uh, head of recruitment. Oh, Mark Lowell, you're looking for a job. And you come, and you come, son. And that, that, but that is it in a nutshell. And it's... it's it. I know we're talking about nepotism, but it even runs deeper than that. It's something, obviously, that McGinty has touched on as well. Um... I mean, you look in our youth teams and it's like Darno D, Stephen McManus are basically sharing uh, a yeah. job. Yep. <laughs> are they the best people? Could we not go abroad and bring some in? I mean, the B team are only doing great and I know obviously they're loaning players out left, right and centre, but it's not as if we've got a plethora of talent coming through either. And yeah. then, I mean, I don't know if he's still there, but Tosh McKinley was a scout at Celtic as well. Oh. Have we lost them? You're back, James. Yeah, you're back. Uh, you're back. I, hear, right? I so I don't know where I cut out there, but uh, I see it just it runs a lot deeper than I know. It's nepotism, obviously the the family name and things like that. But it is literally if your face fits, you'll get a, you'll get a job at Celtic. And I'm generally g- genuinely surprised that Scott Brown. Didn't he? Didn't he get a gig at Celtic? Maybe. I think he rejected it. I was going to say maybe he's got the wherewithal to kind of see the the fans' feeling and things like that. But aye, if if you can tell me with a straight face that Gavin Stratton, Gordon Str- uh, 
Gavin Stratton, Craig Stratton, and Mark Lowell have all got rules at Celtic, and it's not because of their surname, then fair play to you. But it's literally the only reason that they're here, or Stroke, in Mark Lowell's case, still here. It can't be. It cannot be a coincidence, really. Cannot. It can't be. It's, do you know what I mean? I, no, I've got no a, a, sec, a second-hand anecdote about the, the nepotism at Celtic Park. Over over ten years ago, in my, my old job, uh, I worked with a guy who was about my age, and he used to be a, a Celtic coach for the the, the the under level. And he spoke about how it's it's if your face fits, it's who you know. And um, he spoke about how he, he'd been a, a coach after he left school. He managed to, to join Celtic and um, he'd been there for a few years. Uh, he's actually cut cousins with uh, Dylan McGeer. Um, but he left Celtic uh, as a coach because he felt that, um, again, it's, it's who you know and if your face fits. And he was talking about other coaches who were given preferential roles uh, and, 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 and fast-tracked. He, he spoke about um, a, a grandson of one of the Lisbon Lions, um, who was um, really not worth the salt in his job, but he, he was given preferential treatment, and he just said that it was just a bad culture, even from the, the from that age group, from from the, the the lower level coaches. He just said it was just it was just he didn't say toxic, but it was just a bad culture, and he felt he was being marginalised amongst a lot of other people. So that's just kind of one thing that I remember being told to me. I mean, you look at the comments in Red Scotland. I actually used to like Peter Lowell's work at Celtic. Now I see him as an enemy and a threat to our club. Robert Baker, Boar's attitude towards the squad is shocking every season. Um, Maestro, 95, we should have more people qualified. And I think that's the cut and thrust of it, isn't it? We should have... And I think you're actually right. You look at our B team. You look at our the coaches, like you said, Gav. Like in every other top club in the world, and we profess to be a top club in the world and operate like one. It's always in every AGM. It's said out loud. People can hear it. But you look throughout there, and I'm not professing to be an absolute, I know everything about European football and how they run, but you can guarantee in the recruitment departments have got the best qualified people. Their data analysis, they've got the best qualified people that they can afford within a budget. Their B teams, their C teams, right, right down to the academy, are functioning with top-class coaches, Top class personnel. I mean, you look at, I mean, even that, that's that Fran Alonso can often one here, but he started with Pochettino. He he went up the academies in England and stuff like that. He earned his grin, and and as you said, he was worth his salt, and he was a good manager for the women's team, and also an assistant coach to Pochettino. You you look at like Pep Guardiola at Barcelona. He started as a coach in the, in the underage teams. He's worked his way up. So I mean, there, there's examples throughout history, throughout the world that that if you look outside the box, you can find these guys. Or, or women in the aspect of things, the women team. And I just think we're so closed in the circle that we're in that it's actually shambolic in a way that we have Darren O'Day and Steve McManus sharing a B-team job. It doesn't make any sense in my brain. And we always talk about the alignment of the, the academy to the first team. There's none of that no more. Under Postacoglu, it was doing it somewhat, the same kind of tactics and that. But even the, the coach he brought over, was it Stuart McLaren from Australia? He's left. He's left the underage departments now, but Anne's has left, he's left. So, again, there needs to be a whole rethink from top to bottom. And that brings us all nicely to, uh, Gavin, just a wee bit about what model could we replicate? Who could we look at Look at as an example of football? And one I, I always go to is Brentford. League One, they started Moneyball. And I know Mark Warburton is a laugh figure up here, but I remember him doing an interview with Simon Ferry and he talked about it. 
the, the owner came in, he said his, his kind of aims and his aspirations, sign players, move them on quick. And it was all driven by data, driven by scouting. And he was bringing in players in League One and he was selling at 13, 14 million, even in that short period of time. And from that, they've grew into the Premier League. And it's and with Thomas Frank and I. And I think that if you look at, at these models, Gavin, and as, as James said, if we actually employ the right people, get the right strategy in place. There's no reason why we can't implement something like that within our club. And we speak about the fees and I've spoke about this to Ross, Willie, Anthony, uh, John, Franny multiple times. And to be fair, we have a back and forth and I enjoy it. But to accumulate fees and the money ball aspiration side of things, if you're spending two million next season, you have to spend four, you have to spend six, you have to spend seven, spend eight. And it keeps accumulating like that because you're bringing in more income when you're selling these players on. Obviously, if they're a hit and the success rate is good, but there's multiple models out there that we can be following and implementing at Celtic Football Club, but but it just feels like the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, I think with Celtic and the fact that we are based in Scotland, that's just a, a natural disadvantage that we have against a lot of other um, European clubs. And that, that it's not, nothing new. So we need to be able to adapt to that and think outside the box and do things that other people haven't haven't thought of or people that that other clubs are not prepared to go to those those lengths we need to be doing different things from the run of the mill clubs in order for us to to get ahead and to try to make inroads into europe even if that is possible um i know that if mcginty was on here um he would start talking about sevilla and real betis and benfica as he loves to do um and he's probably right, you know, in a sense. I don't I don't have any examples of specific clubs that we can replicate. I know Brentford is definitely renowned as a kind of modern-day thinking club right now in the way that they go about things. Like They've got natural disadvantages, the fact that they've got such a, a small stadium and a relatively low budget compared to their, their peers in the top flight in English football. And they're prepared Brighton, to... Brighton to an extent. Brighton to an extent as well. Oh yeah, Brighton, Brighton are, are definitely ahead of the curve. Definitely ahead of the curve. And well, they're prepared to do things that that other established clubs haven't thought of, or are not prepared to go to those lengths. We need to be doing that, but it's not like it's not anything new. We should we should be implementing these these strategies um, from a long time ago. We should be well advanced in that, but it seems like we're not. But with our recruitment, like. We've demonstrated patterns in recruitment based on associated contacts. Like, for example, Dudu Duhan, which is a, a ridiculous name, uh, for, for his, his knowledge of uh, the, the players in Israel. You've got, even like very, very recently, Starfelt's agent, who's like taking mm-hmm. Starfelt out the door and he says, by the way, I know a player, Laga Bielka, you'll love him. Um, you've got the, the, the city group links, um, who were, which were plundered before, like Meat Jam and Roberts and Frimpong. Um, so, and, and, and even like, apart from that, like we bring in Ange, this new guy, and he's got a unique insight into like the South Eastern Asian market. And we yep. utilised that. We exploited it to the point where we thought, like, it was like we were a gambler who we thought we were on this winning streak. And then eventually we started bringing up duds, like fucking Kobayashi and, and yes, Yang as well. And to an extent, oh, I'm not a big fan of O either. But it started off well, and we just continued to, to, to go down that road. Um, Ange mentioned the South American market. 
and we've done hee-haw in that, that part of the world. Whatever intelligence on the ground recommended Burnaby, that's seriously flawed. But that's a continent in itself, and we've not really done anything about that. Brexit has opened up a whole new market to us in terms of the, the relaxed uh, rules and visas coming into the UK. We've not really we've exploited that with the Japanese market and stuff like that, but there are other places in the world which we haven't really done so. Um, Palmer, you you might think, well, that was insightful for us to to get this guy from from uh, Greece. But the word in the street is is that he was, you know, his agent was, you know, batting eyelids at a lot of clubs, and uh, eventually we just said, right, we'll take him, we'll take him. But we seem to have made the inroads um, into Benfica, but mm-hmm. why do we just fixate on like three of their uh, academy graduates? So like Jota. Bernardo and the, that guy, the fullback, Arujo, um, who yeah. was an academy graduate, but now he's went down to a, another club within Portugal. If we're looking at that, why don't we expand and look at that country as a whole? Why just say, well, we know that guy in Benfica, so let's use that route. I would like to see us diversify more. Um, I also miss the days of us signing experienced players. Like, if you think about it, our recruitment model is. We, we we buy them young for a, a cheap price, development, sell them on, and so the the they've got a small shelf life before we flip them on for a profit. We've got this fixation on signing young players, and sometimes I think we can find ourselves lacking in experience. Um, so I think I, I, I do miss every now and again buying an experienced player, like very yep. most recently Moy, but even going back to like a Hartley or a Robson. Whether they're going to be like your, your, your first team um, players or like on coming in and out, I think it really helps for that sort of thing. Um, I think that that's another kind of blind spot that we've got. We just keep going for the young players and we should kind of diversify more. So can't think of a particular club that we should replicate. However, we focus on what we know, the tried and tested, using contacts. We need to just think more outside the box. Yeah, can I, I want to say something here. Franny come in. Brighton and Brentford are great examples if you ignore the TV, TV cash they are guaranteed every season. Look, Brighton and Brentford started their models long before they are in the English Premier League. Brentford, for example, started this money ball in League One in England. I do get what you're saying, Franny, but they started it, and look where they are now. They gambled, they showed ambition, now they're in the top league. Now they're getting that money guaranteed every season. And you could say, if Celtic do that kind of model, we'd be guaranteed the Champions League money every season. And I do agree with yourself, I'm Gavin there, in the aspect of things. Look, particular models are great, but we are focused a lot on individual contacts. And I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And, and James, the, the burden of greatness comes in. The project sentence are supposed to be elite youth talents of 17, 18, not 22 to 23 players who haven't quite made the grade. Uh, Robert Davey, Gavin speak by Palma. Palma is a dud, a one-trick pony. And then... Uh, Paul McFarlane, if Roger says Ida is <laughs> game ready and ready to play, then Bantison, he needs to go. But people have different ideas to recruitment. And the reason why I brought up Brentford is because I, I know the most about that. Obviously, that, that interview and things they got, and you read into it. And, and Thomas Frank, when he took them over, he, he spoke about it at length, the recruitment policy. And again, it was all data, all numbers, and that, and that type of thing. So that, that's what inter- interested me about that. But where do you think that Celtic can maybe broaden horizons, their the horizons, and maybe look at other players within different countries. There's talents out there, but we have to find ways of unearthing them. 
I don't. This is where the the whole nepotism side of it comes into it because I genuinely don't feel there'll be an appetite to do it. That would that would cost money to do that. So why no employ the fucking chairman's son to come in and do that job for us? And as as Gav touched upon there, look at like, I mean, even this transfer window, like we were linked to guys like Owen Beck, and as I said last week, Owen Beck fell into a lap in the last six months. We needed a left back in the summer. Who would be in for in the summer? And as Gav says, Dudu Dahan, we signed one that worked, so we kept going back and kept going back and kept going back to the, the point we kind of ran him dry. Starfelt got out the door, as Gav touches upon there. Oh, by the way, this guy's shit hot. Sign him up six months later. Well, well, he basically confirmed that he's no good enough. The Man City thing as well. How many Man City youth loanies did we have up here at one point? Gadetti, Denier, Roberts. Fucking, there was more than I'm that. surprised we didn't, we didn't dip back into that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Apparently, sorry for interrupting. There was a news outlet that reported on the, the last day we approached Man City for a Spanish fullback, a Spanish left back. Oh, Gomez. 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Pep, Pep Guardiola talked him out of it. Apparently, AC Milan were also interested in him. I think that's a bit pie in the sky stuff. It was the same with the Kurzaba as well. Like the Kurzaba link, uh, it was at 115 grand he was rumoured to be on. Uh, in like, tinfoil hat time, but is that just names that we're dripping out to the press to make it look as if like, we were trying? Like, I, I said in the group chat yesterday, it felt as if we were January when they started in February. See the amount of names that we were linked to yesterday? I think I heard, look, I know obviously no everyone's going to be going to be legit, but the amount of names that we were linked to yesterday, I think, was more than we'd been linked to in the, the full windy to that point. Um, but in, in terms of like, plans and things like that, I, I think having a plan would be a start. And I, I don't say that to be to be flippant about it. it, it it's genuinely what I think. It just, the, the signings that we make, it just tends to be things that either fall into a lap because it's pretty much on our doorstep or an agent has offered it. It was like the Sydney Van Hoydonk thing, and look, I'm not saying we should have signed Sydney Van Hoydonk, but I mean, that was one of the kind of longest rumours. And everything I read, it was never Celtic been interested in him, it was Van Hoydonk been interested in coming to us, and yeah. it just feels as if that's pretty much how we operate. And it was like Roger's comments today, when he was saying players wanted to come here. If I'm reading between the lines of that, I think that means Owen Beck nothing to back that up, just obviously after the back of the rumours, but again that's a guy, at the start of the season, if we said to Brendan Rodgers what about signing Owen Beck on loan for Liverpool, or he would have probably said who but he's went to Dundee six months, I'm not going to kid on I've watched him, but it was obviously it was decent against us, but by all accounts he's had a great half a season there he's went back down and we thought, I will have a bit of that it's no happened. He's got again for Liverpool. He can't come here, and he ends up back at Dundee. So we'll probably revisit that again in the summer, and it might be a good signing. But it's another one that just it fell into a lap. There was we we never scouted Ownbeck. Ownbeck's went to Dundee. We felt he's getting good reports, and we've started watching him, and we've tried to sign him. So I just having a plan for me at least would be a start. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but just after it's not harsh. Uh, just half recent history, that is what it feels like. It's just things falling into your lap or players getting offered to us. And the, 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 sorry, mate, the Craig Stratton thing as well, 
look, we've seen fucking Dermot Desmond, was it yesterday or the, or the, yesterday or the day before, talking to Rory McIlroy on the golf course, and oh, firstly, firstly. It's, it's no a great look for Dermot Desmond, but fucking based off the Craig Stratton thing, there's every chance that fucking Rory McIlroy is now a South American scout. And that, that, that was a disgrace, Desmond on the golf course on deadline day. It's, it's craziness. And I, I do agree with you. A plan would be nice, but we're not getting that at the moment. And see, funny enough, it costs money to set up these recruitment processes. It's probably a bit, I don't know, pie in the sky for us to think it, but you hope it for a big club. Gav, don't you? You hope it for the world-class organisation that Celtic are and Peter Lowell always says we are. Paul McFarlane comes in just to kind of round this wee bit up. And it's a two-pronged thing. There was a comment earlier, I'll this one at you as well, saying about Celtic aren't going to shell out millions of pounds because players don't want to come to the Scottish League. Should Celtic just focus on Scottish talent? And then Paul McFarlane is following that up with, should Celtic be asking to partner with an EPL as club as a feeder club to guarantee player availability? Now, we've seen that happen with Hibs and, I think, uh, Dundee. Hibs with Bournemouth and Dundee with Burnley. Look, by all accounts, in my opinion, for Hibs and Dundee, I think that's fantastic. I think, overall, that the landscape of Scottish football should improve with better quality of players coming in. And look, again, maybe a bit ignorant, but under 23 players from Burnley and Bournemouth are probably going to make an impact in their respective uh, teams. We've seen Hibs have signed uh, Mercandos from them, who's played over like 150 games. He's played in the Champions League and things like that. He's trying to get his way to the full fitness. They've signed a couple of youth players from them as well. Dundee's took advantage of it with, a, I think, a left-back when Owen Beck left. <laughs> He's probably going to be on the bench now. But... I don't think for Celtic that's the way to go, in my opinion. I think we're too big to set up that feeder club type thing. I know we had it with Man City de facto, but kind of announcing that, I don't think it would go down too well with the fans, in, in my opinion. Right, so see with the, the feeder club, that whole concept, is that us teaming up with a, an English uh, counterpart and players that they want to develop, they send north of the border and we play them, is that... The, the yeah, of the like Hibs, like what Hibs are doing for Bournemouth, really. Yeah, basically yeah. what we done with Man City. <laughs> well, the one thing that kind of puts me off is if they've got a player who they want to get more experience to toughen up or whatever, um, to develop, they send them north of the border. There's been plenty of occasions where we have loaned players um, from from south. And they've been on the periphery. We've not given them game time. I'm thinking about Jeremy Aliadiel. You know, and I think Arsene Wenger was rather pissed off with us for not playing him. Um, it turns out that he was pish. We've got the unique, we've got the unique situation where we need to win every game. And these players who are coming up here, they're either going to be they're either going to be a good fit or they're not going to be a good fit. I know that that sounds like such a, a simplistic. Uh, answer, but like Frimpong, he could as well as have been a, a one of those kind of feeder products, you know. And Frimpong just hit the ground running, but Lennon had to fast track him into the team because, like Scott Brown said, people can't live with you, your, your pace, you know. The guy was just irrepressible. Um, if, if you're going to do the whole feeder club thing, uh, then um, it would have to be with like a Man City or. One of the top top clubs, Liverpool, Man City, um, and they're either going to play for us or they're, they're not going to play for us, and 
the, the clubs need to be prepared for that eventuality. Uh, so the, the players that they're going to send off of the border need to be worth their salt. The other thing is, is that we're developing those players. So with Frimpong, the advantage was we actually signed him. He became a Celtic yep. employee. And uh, we could reap the benefits of that. Yes, we owed Man City a sell-on clause, but we got a hell of a lot of money from Bayer <coughs> because of that. However, if it wasn't that type of agreement and we just got Frimpong for like a season, two seasons, you know, it's a short-term fix. It's just a short-term fix. We're going to develop him. He's going to help us. But after one year, maybe two years, we send him back down. And then we've got that problem again, which we've not addressed. So it swings and roundabouts. Not, I'm not saying that I'm completely against it, but there are advantages and disadvantages. And we need to weigh up whether that's going to be uh, worth our while. The other thing about, um, is that about Scottish talent? Scottish but, talent, yeah. We should very much pay attention to the talent in our own back garden. However, sometimes we've had talent in our own fucking like youth teams, and we're like, "This guy isn't good right now." However, like, like, um, like Kieran Tierney, we lucked out. It was just a sliding doors moment how he got his chance at Celtic. You know, if the injuries never happened in the first team, who he could have been shipped out easily. Um, Andy Robertson, he was on our books. Um, and Hickey as well. He was on our books. Shay Given. Shay Given. She, like, Christ, we could have done with a good goalkeeper in the 90s. Um, but sometimes even if it's like, staring you right in front of your face, you don't you don't recognise it until it's gone and it's it's the, the talent is doing wonders at another club. You put potential in a different environment and sometimes it flourishes. Sometimes we just... We can't see the wood for the trees. And that's why sometimes talent in Scotland escapes us. Talking about Doig, Doig, I, I, I wasn't saying that we should have bought him. However, Doig left Hibs, he went to one Italian club, and now he got a, a four million odd move to another Italian club. He's doing very well, you know, as we've seen with Hickey. I don't know, it should, if we've got scouts who are worth their salt, and can they, can they spot this potential? It seems not. There's no exact science to it, but yeah. I think as well, like if you look at as if you look at the, the the talent teams within the Scottish market, we've actually let go. I mean, Galvin, you're right. Josh Deutsch at the time, you're bad potential, but he's in that right bracket for project, isn't he? Eighteen, nineteen, coming up for the ranks, bring him in, see what he can do. Aaron Hickey, he was he was basically Hearts version of Kieran Tierney at the time. He was playing every game at like seventeen years old. He was always getting injured, but he always looked a decent player. Even Lewis Ferguson, and I know his allegiances, but I really liked him as a, as a player for Aberdeen. I thought he was box-to-box. He scored good goals. He was a threat in both both boxes as well. And it's it's like, why are we letting this slip through the net? And I know it was Stephen John there in the comments. He mentioned it, uh, James. And I think, yes, don't get me wrong, and I know people would say this, there's a snobbery towards the Scottish market. And maybe I've been implicit in it, and I've been like, why would we sign... X, Y, and Z, but I think with the likes of Deutsch, with the likes of Hickey, Ferguson, you can see that quality within them. I mean, Ferguson's and I being like with Juventus. So he's had that quality for his whole career. And like Gavin said, have we got the scouts like Tosh McKinley, who's rather eating that a Kilmarnock pie? Is he actually watching the game and taking it all in? Do you know what I mean? Well, mate, just what you're saying there, I know it's a wee bit different because he, he's no Scottish, but he's playing in Scotland. As I said yesterday, see four weeks ago, if you told me we were signing Mayofsky for Aberdeen, I would have been underwhelmed, so underwhelmed with that. 
see if you told me yesterday afternoon that we were signing Bojan Miofsky for Aberdeen, it would have felt as if we were signing fucking Perry because of obviously the way the, the one day had transpired. So I'm probably guilty that's nobody myself, but to touch on the feeder team thing, I, 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 I don't think I could subscribe to that, to be honest. See if we were struggling financially, then I fair enough, it's, it's a short term problem and it'll arguably get is that magical keyword in the door. But no, when you're sitting with tens of millions of pounds in the bank and it's just a, a refusal to spend it, it's like it's it just doesn't make sense to me the, the, the point blank refusal to spend it. Um but in terms of Scottish talent, as Gav says as well, we have Scottish talent. I mean we've seen Mitchell Frame come on in the Champions League, albeit it was a dead rubber game admittedly, but he, he didn't look out of place. We've, he's not been seen again since. Um, and as we've touched upon before as well, we are kind of youth players. We never seem to actually play them through choice. They'll maybe get five, ten minutes at the end of a game, fair play, but they never actually get a, a, a kind of run of games or a start or anything through choice. It's always because it's an absolute last resort and we have to. But James, um, could you could, could you not say? Sorry to interrupt you, but could you not say? Look, it had to be even as well. If we looked at a lineup, for example, and and it, it was Johnson, Fickers, Scales, Frame, and then up top it was Rocco, Fada, Kyogo, and Palma, and then on the bench you had, for example, a batter for the right, and you had Taylor Fit for the left. If we picked up a negative result in that game, people would be going. Why did not start the best team? If they were fit and available for the bench, why did they play the youngsters? So you can, it's a catch-22 sometimes, but I do agree. Our youth development has been pissed poor, and we should see more youth products within that squad. But see, at the same time, though, see see through history, well, recent history at least. I, funnily enough, I was actually talking about this the other day because I couldn't remember the boy's name. The only time I can remember a youth player coming in, and I'll include even like Mikey Johnson in that when he, he was a youth player, the only time I can remember a youth player coming in and actually getting a bit of stick because we didn't think he was good enough was Dane Murray um, in the Michelin games. That That's the only one that I can remember through kind of recent history um, actually getting any stick. But what you're saying about Mitchell Frame, look, I, I'm no saying take the B team and stick three of them fucking in positions in the start and love and give them a run of games. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, like for instance, the new, and I heard that the boy's injured, so I stand to be corrected, but just as an example, we we know, well, apparently McGinty doesn't know after last week, but we know that Burnaby is absolute rotten. We know that he's no good enough. Greg Taylor gets injured. Mitchell Frame is a left back that stepped in in the Champions League. Admittedly, played a wee bit further forward that night, but that—that's the perfect chance for that boy to come in and stake a claim. If he comes in and it maybe doesn't work out and he's no good enough, it's no harm, no foul because we know that we already know that Burnaby is no good enough. It's just things like that where I think they should get an opportunity. Rocco Vat is another one, and I know obviously the, the contract situation complicates it. But the boy's not been in a squad for about six months. All of a sudden, we open contract talks with him, and he gets he gets game time. It it's just it's baffling to me. The the youth development is just non-existent at Celtic. It's just does not exist. It's only as an absolute last resort, and we've seen it as well. Um, uh, was it Joey Dawson? Was it boxing? Oh my Jesus! 
But but again, that was an absolute last last resort, and it's the only way we did it. Like, did he score? Really? No, I don't think so. No, I did he half injured? Did he half injured? Yeah. I could be wrong, but. Like Caramoco Dembele, I mean, fucking Caramoco Dembele must have been due a, due a testimonial at Celtic by the time we get his first appearance. We kept hearing how good the boy was, but we never ever got to see it. And then by the time we did get to see him, arguably it was too late. Whether or no, obviously his height and that would have would have come into it. I mean, you can't fucking make yourself taller, but we, we we keep hearing about all these players and how good they are. And how promising they are. And the only time that we actually ever see them is when they're fucking storming holding another team's jersey because they've signed for them. And mm-hmm. if you're a youth team player, where is the where is the path? I mean, we'll all say Callum McGregor, but that's fucking 10, 15 years ago. Well, 10 years ago now. Do you know what I mean? When Ronnie Dyler was here. Kieran Tierney. But again, that was a needs must scenario. Yeah. That was Ronnie Dyler that went and watched them. So... I, I, for me, the, the youth development, like the scouting and the recruitment department, is non-existent. And don't get me wrong, we've kind of spoke at length previously about the, the B team playing in the Olin League, and I think that's the biggest waste of time gone. Um, I think there's a rule in there, if if a B team player plays is it three games for the first team or five games Something, for the first yeah. team, then they can't play for the B team again. Now, surely... If you're talking about youth development, that's cutting your nose to spite your face. If if somebody's playing well, then you want to see them get a get a game in the B team, uh, a game in the first team. And if they come in and they look they look good, feel, as I say, they might not start every week, but they'd still definitely be an option off the bench after a couple of games doing that. Then that seemed stagnating for a year. So I think I, I honestly I, the the B team thing to me, I think that's a podcast and it's in. It just seems so so yeah. so so pointless. Yep. You'll say uh, something, Gav. I think you want to say something. No, I agree with what James is saying that that, that you can spend hours and hours alone talking about the failures of, of the youth development. Another another thing, see, like the youth development nowadays, where we've got a talent and how they get plucked plucked away at such a young age. It's kind of like one of those nature documentaries where you see like a baby gazelle getting born. And it falls down into the ground. And before it can even take its first step, you've got the pack of lions sweeping in, you know, and and, and tearing it apart. Um, they're just getting plucked away before you can actually see it develop and grow. That's kind of like what it's like with Celtic right now. You had like that, that young defender who went off to Bayern Munich. and um, Morrison? Yes. And then you had Ben Doak off to Liverpool. Um, and like it was kind of like almost in vain that Ange threw him in against the rotten mob. To say here, I'll play if you stay. Uh, that that was almost like in vain, a desperate attempt uh, to convey faith in the guy, you know. Um, but that's that's where it is right now. And another thing, I, 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 again, James is right. We could talk about this for for hours. I was reading the Tommy Burns book, and he was talking about life as a player at Celtic. Brilliant, brilliant book. Um, but he was saying that back in his days in the the seventies and eighties, if you were a, a teenager, if you were 17, 18, 19, and at that point, especially by about 19, if you hadn't hadn't had any game time for, for Celtic, you knew that your future lay elsewhere. The, the, the writing was on the wall. Different day back then because less, less money involved. So you needed your youth. And there was an actual kind of progression. Now it's, 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 it's turned at its head. It's like sharks, you know. People are, people are taking your, your talent before they've even been able to kick a ball for you. So... 
Aye, I don't want to prolong that any further, but it's a it's a tough, tough game bringing through the youth whenever you've got the money down south. Oh, 100%. I think Robert Davies sums it up really well here. He's not going to start any young lads. We'll take the chance for to win 14 out of 15 games for us to win the league. As they're not going to drop too many, as Rangers are not going to uh, drop too many points, to me, except against us. I totally agree with that, and it kind of snookers the youth development side of things which we spoke about. But I do want to come on, Gavin, to, to, to some things that could be seen as a positive out of, the, out of this January transfer window. So I'll, I'll list them off, Dean, and, and you tell me how you feel about them. Cameron Carter-Vickers, five and a half year deal. Celtic rejected Atletico Madrid's loan to buy. We've got rid of Maggie Johnson to West Brom. Quan to St. Mirren, albeit, by the way, he seems to be doing quite well. Did you see his song? It was, it was decent. Uh, David <laughs> Turnbull, uh, uh, went to, he's, went to, he's went to Cardiff on, on a permanent deal for, I think, £2 million. Itaguchi's way back to Japan, I think it's for, for sale Kobe. I might be wrong on that. James said it at the start, Gavin, we've managed to come out with a slight profit. Crazy, as it seems. Yeah, mad. But it's the Celtic board is what they expect. But, I mean, getting rid of Deadwood, Deadwood, some of them anyway, and then rejecting Matt O'Reilly and keeping Vickers tied down, albeit he's been injury-prone this season. How do you feel about that? Well, I think we've done a poor job in prolonging this trimming of the squad. So we, we have made inroads, which I think is a positive. So firstly, get the, the positives um, about retaining the assets. Um, Cameron Cutter-Vickers... Yeah, I, I was actually quite worried because we'd tie down a lot of our key players for extended contracts. For money. Back in back in the summer, you know, like Kyogo and Abada and people like that, O'Reilly as well. Um and I was thinking CCV, like he's the most important uh piece in the puzzle. And it looks like he's the last one to, to extend his deal. So I'm happy with that. However, it's coincided with a really shit season for him in terms of injuries, which is made, making people question, is this a sign of the future? Have we just given away a five-and-a-half-year contract with no doubt very healthy money uh, to a player who might might start becoming injury-prone? Uh, the first two seasons under Ange, he was fairly consistent, very consistent probably, uh, but he's been in and out of the team. Um, however, don't know what the future holds for him in terms of injuries, but I think either way, I'm happy that we've secured him down. Um, I would like to look at it um, optimistically with Cameron Cutter-Vickers. Brilliant player. Hopefully he gets over this run of injuries, even if it means being right off this season for him and he can start again next season. I'm happy with that. He's a great player for us. I would hate to, to see him go. O'Reilly, we had a discussion about it. I, I felt that it'd be madness for the board to take the, the short-term reward and turn and, and, and sacrifice the long-term gain. Um, so we've knocked him back, uh, Atletico Madrid. He'll probably be going in the in the summer. Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, he's a smart cookie, and he'll have the world at his feet at, at that point. Um, so he's extended his deal anyway, so happy with that. that that's good. However, in terms of the departures, Idiguchi, he had to go. He should have went sooner. Um, it just never worked out for him. Um, he had a, a, another spell in, in the UK with Leeds. It just never worked out. It was just like, it seems like he's this kind of perennial bad luck story whenever he comes to the UK. Um, and now he's he's ripping it up back in Japan, like, like nominated for Player of the, the Year or whatever. That's funny, that, isn't it? Ironic. Ironic. Um, look, it just for one reason or another, it, it was never going to work out for him. My own uh, opinion was he never had one defining quality that set him out 
from his peers in the midfield. He was never going to make it his own. He was never going to grab the a shot for himself. So uh, the right the writing was on the wall for me for, from the, the outset. Tellio, fucking weird one. What? Which? What's That's really a strange weird? one. See, uh, uh, the, the the Celtic fans, the, the Aussie Celtic fans, they're like, wait till you see this boy. Wait till you see this boy. Yeah. And you remember that 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 YouTube clip of like him running the entire distance to the park and putting it in the back of the net. That was like schoolboy defending. Nobody closed him down. He watch yeah. it back, and you're like, oh my god, like he's just been allowed to. He could be playing against no defenders. That was the equivalent of it. Um, tell you, he's barely kicked the ball far for Celtic in maybe one or two appearances. Um. It looks like he was struggling in training. Uh, a, a young boy, I'm sure he'll make a footballing career for himself, but maybe not at Celtic. Maybe I'm being premature and writing him off, but we've done the right thing and let Gav, him go. Just, quick, just quickly, did you see his, uh, the comments by the manager of, of Melbourne? He said that no. Tilio didn't enjoy himself at Celtic. I, I would imagine he didn't enjoy himself. I don't <laughs> know why. He, he had no reason to enjoy himself at Celtic. You know, if he thinks that coming over like halfway across the world and realising, fuck, this is tough. Um, I, no, that, 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 that's, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I hope he enjoys himself in Australia. If that's his <laughs> level, fair enough. Um, Quan, Agent Quan, hilarious. He, he, he just sounds brilliant. Like, I bet he'd be great in a night out. However, like, like the comments that I'm going to rip it up at Celtic, I'm going to become the best player. And then afterwards, I might go to Germany. I might go to England. Who knows? But that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes such a bad impression and a testimonial that people are like, oh my god, who is this clown? Um, so he's at St Mirren. By the way, he had a great chance to score a goal against the Rotten Mob in that game. Um, but, Never uh, seen him. Was it was it a sitter? Uh, yeah, he was like, like one of those kind of Frank Lampard runs into the box. The ball bounces gently for him and he just skies it over the bar. Um, who knows? Uh, it'll be funny watching him at St. Mirren. Like, I would tune in just for that kind of, just to morbidly see what happens, what he does with the ball at his feet. Find it funny. Mikey Johnson on loan. What can you say about Mikey? James has put it brilliantly. Like, I love that phrase. Um, he must be having his, his 10th pint in the last chance saloon, Mikey Johnson. Uh, but he's going to come back to us again at the end of the season. That's the scary thing. That's the fucked up Is there thing. no option to buy? No. No, no, oh, it's like it's like, fucking, it's like Freddy Krueger. He just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Um, but what club did Mikey Johnson go to? West Brom. West, West Brom. Brom. Yeah. The other one, um, Turnbull. By the way, two million pound with like six months remaining. That's as good as the deal that we got for Ryan Christie. We had six months remaining. We got roughly about two million for him going to Bournemouth. I think that's a brilliant piece of business. I actually. I found Turnbull to be a useful idiot in terms of a squad player. I would I would have kept him around just for his his knack at unpicking a lock sometimes against that low block. Um he had he had his uses, but overall he was never good enough to be a a, a starting player. He was good enough to be in the squad. He ticked a box with a quota. Um people say, well, he's not Celtic quality, he should never be here, but I get that you've got high standards for Celtic players, but really, like, Turnbull was a useful idiot. That's how I would phrase him. But we've, we've made two million. Brilliant. It's also quite sad we're talking about Scottish talent. He apparently was the best talent in Scottish football for his age, for his generation, and it just never worked out for him. So, 
And by the way, the most baffling thing, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to say, make sure that we don't forget about this. McCarthy, how baffling is that? Oh. Sure I'll give you the spotlight for McCarthy. So. Wow. I, th- I think as well, I mean, I'm sorry, I know you've been trying to get in. I thought there was a snake in at one point, all the that I was here. <laughs> but, uh, but um, I think with, with Turnbull, you, you made a good point, but he lost about four yards of pace in the last game. <laughs> like, he just couldn't be fucked. So I think his, his writing was on the wall and he wanted to leave, but that's all I wanted to say. James, you take it away. No, no, I was just going to touch, it was just when you were talking about the Tilio thing, and look, maybe I'm just a fucking door face cunt, but See the Tilio thing? That's I'm right in saying Melbourne City are part of obviously the City group. Yeah. Right. Well, I wonder who else we've got that's got links to the City group. Maybe used to work for them in some capacity. So maybe he did his job in that front and they done it really well. So let's defend him even there. But in terms of positives, the, the Cameron Cartler Vickers thing, of course it's a positive, but it's totally no related to the transfer window. We could have done that in December, we could have done it in February or March. But that's I take true. on I take on board that it is a, it is a positive though. Um, the Mikey Johnson thing, oh my god, I mean, I, I'll, I'm setting my stall out early. Mikey Johnson goes down to West Brom, scores two or three goals, a few people start saying, maybe there is a player in there eventually. He comes back up, he does a step over in pre-season and people are claiming for him to get um, another last chance and then he'll go back out and loan next January after playing for us for six months. I'm setting my stall out early with that one because the, the guy's like a boomerang. He just keeps coming back. We cannot get a date one. Um, but the, the I don't think we've touched on it as well. The the Lager Bielka thing, it was another one that had kind of a feet and three quarters at the door. That was mad. That was mad. He actually openly said the Italian press he wanted to leave. Aye. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, because the way your luck's gone with, with kind of injuries, especially in that position, we're, we're going to need to rely on him at some point at the business end of the season. So it, we've essentially told him that we don't think he's good enough and he's actively said that he wants to leave. So where his seeds at, I don't know. That, for me, just summed up our, our transfer one day. Um, the McCarthy thing, ah. How anybody can defend that is beyond me. It's even if they come in and said they wanted to pay five percent of McCarthy's wages. If we get math the books, we're still saving five percent of his wages, but we're now in the position where he's not even sitting on the bench. I think he's played a couple of games for the B team, but it's not as if he's even really playing for them. And we now find ourselves in the position where we're now paying a hundred percent of his wages. And Again, that isn't James McCarthy's fault. If I was James McCarthy and I was earning that money, fucking right, I would be looking to, to take a pay cut when I've got 18 months left. That that again falls on falls on the club. Do you think that's do you think do you think that's right what Robert said? It was a Desmond, it was it was a favour. I felt like I felt at the time when we signed Johnny Hayes, it was like that a favour, but at least he made an impact and he actually done stuff in the first team squad. James McCarthy's been non existent and an absolute embarrassment of a professional footballer in his time at Saudi Football Club. Oh, 100%. Aye. Um, genuinely, the only thing that I can remember McCarthy doing was at, at Perth when Jack Amakis scores an injury time and it's McCarthy that wins the tackle yeah. for the ball. That is the only recollection I've got of James McCarthy and a Selecto. Um And as I say, that's no James McCarthy's fault. Um, I think that most people, when he signed, didn't really want him. We thought he was finished, and it feels as if we've given him a fucking 35-year contract at this point. Um, so, 
<laughs> I, I, I can't understand. Firstly, that it'd be a team want to take him, and then secondly, that we would knock that back for whatever reason. As I say, even if they wanted to pay 5% of his wages, then get him out the door. And obviously, if he goes there and he plays, and basically if he plays, he, he, you'd probably get a team from the border in the summer if we were looking to move him on, but I just don't understand it. He's just going to sit and see his contract out for 18 months as he's well within his rights to, but it's just a shambles. Steve, what about Turnbull? Not... Go, go ahead, sorry, Gavin. So it was just about McCarthy. I was going to get your your kind of thoughts on this. Can I ask? It seems like McCarthy is given a pass by the Celtic fans now. James says that well, you know, you're, you've you've been giving like decent wages by Celtic, a four year contract, baffling as it is. So why why wouldn't you just ride it out? I get that from his perspective, but do you think that? Well, there's a flip to that. Like, if he if he had like professional pride about him, then he would say, "Look, this is obviously not working out for me. I don't want to to to, to remain here and steal a wage if I'm never going to feature in the team." A four-year contract. Like, if you total that up over the four years, I wonder how much money he's gaining from that. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the crux of the, my question is. Why do you think that he's getting an easy ride from the Celtic fans? Because there's other people like Bo Richter who the writing was on the wall, it just wasn't going to work out and he rode it out until the last day and he was a bit of a villain. I think with McCarthy, it's because he's becoming by talking about him a lot like a, a de facto kind of cult figure around the club and you hear all the kind of Quips about him being great in the dress room. He's a great laugh and all that and all that stuff. And partly because he's Irish as well. That's not been around the bush there. He's an Irish fella. I mean, born and bred a Celtic supporter, and he's made that perfectly clear. And in his press conferences that he's ever been involved in. For me, look, I'll be totally honest. I think he's an absolute disgrace that he's decided to write this four-year contract out. Yes, I can understand he's well within his rights to do so. But as a professional footballer, I'd be looking to go out and, and play the final years on the pitch instead of in a, a physio table or not even the bench in the stands at Celtic Park. And that's you very rarely see him at a game when the, when the TV cameras pan across and show you the players out with the squad watching. Um, I found it interesting with the, the Greek club who were interested in him. They, I mean, James, you said it previously about the, the B team and that cutting off the your nose to spite your face or whatever it was at the time. And I think that Celtic could have done that with this transfer and rejecting it to, to a Greek club for six months just to get him out there and playing again. And I think we signed him off the back of a an injury-prone time at Everton. And even at that even at that time, if we give him a year contract or two years, he could maybe understand a bit part player experience has been at the top level for enough. But a four-year contract does smacks of a favour, smacks of Dermot Desmond, giving him 25 grand a week to see out his twilight years at Celtic. And, it's the the pass thing. I don't know Gavin necessarily if he's getting the free pass, but he flies onto the radar. With the other issues going on around the club, McCarthy feels like way down the list. But it's an issue that should be definitely sorted out, and it should have been sorted out far sooner than it was. And as I said, I might be a bit harsh, but it's it's a disgrace in my opinion. If if you say to your kids or your grandkids when you're older, I played for Celtic. Oh, show me show me yourself on YouTube. Show me the games you played. What he's got maybe one minute of footage. It's it's incredible. It's it's a pride thing for me. As as a professional footballer, if I was ever in that position, I never will be. But if, if I'm thinking like a professional footballer, I'd want to be on the pitch. I'd want to be playing and making an impact with the team. Or if I couldn't play a full game, come off the bench at some in some capacity, beeler within a first team squad. And it's just, in my opinion, negligence from the board for giving them that deal, and then also kind of 
disrespectful for McCarthy saying it out. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> but James Turnbull, Quan, nice. Mikey, we're, we'll be up with that. Quan thing, like, good luck to the boy. That's another one. When he first came in, he's coming in for the Korean second division, and as Gav says, he's sitting at the, he's unveiling press conference, telling he's going to play. Was it Bayern Munich or whoever he was, whoever he was signing for? But I don't know if he's maybe missed the slip road for Paisley to Munich. But fair play, like good luck to him. I, I hope that he goes out and he really does well, and um, but he comes in purely because of that position and that kind of physical presence that he has. Whether he does it, I seriously doubt. But I, I hope obviously that he does. Um, the David Turnbull one, I must admit, it took me a wee bit by surprise. Um, I, I've defended Turnbull um, surprisingly. I take a positive for Celtic these days, <laughs> um, but I've, I've defended Turnbull um, quite a bit. There's no defending that performance at the weekend. I thought my eyes weren't working properly when I seen him trying to track back. Man, that was that was imp- that was impressive how slow he was. Um, but I, I've I've defended Turnbull in the past. I think we had a conversation a few a few months ago at the end of last season, um, talking about who would rather lose Aaron Moy or David Turnbull. And I says I would rather lose Aaron Moy because I thought over the course of a season you would get more football at David Turnbull. And obviously I've got my own opinions on on Aaron Moy at Celtic. But yeah. um, even even this season though, I mean. Turnbull must be right up there on the scoring charts for us this season. I'm, I know yeah. obviously he's not at that, but he, he has contributed quite a bit, and that's where a lot of people saying he's been he's been kind of rank rotten, no contributing basically. Um, but I, I think that 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 performance at the weekend. Um, Can I just answer that? We don't know if McCarthy is turning up the work. <laughs> he's very rarely seen, so we don't know if he is there. But, Do you know what I mean? I'm, that's the I, I must admit, and I'm going to go against our Bedwetter CSC tonight here, but um, I agree with Franny on that one. I, and I'm the same, that's not just exclusive to McCarthy, that's the same way any player. See if they've signed their contract, see if it gets to that point where they've got a year, two year, three year, whatever it would be left sitting on it. That's poor for boardroom level. That's uh, no Yes, but, but as a professional footballer, mate, you want to play football. I don't understand why. I, I get it, I do get it in a, in a sense, but. It, He's in his twilight years, James, and mm. he's never going to get a chance really to play first team football again. hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? So the flip side of that is, if he leaves, he's going to need to take a pay cut. The the gone out and loan thing, hundred percent, he should have went out. But the fact that he's still here, I mean, unless we pay him up, like, why why should he leave? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And what we're saying about um, uh, let him want to play and all that. I, I, get that. I get that to a point, but uh, I, I just I don't think you can level that at the player. I think that's at, at boardroom level. Um, but I, with the Turnbull thing, I think two two million I thought was a a great deal. Um, whether it was two million or twenty million, and whether we'll ever see it spent, just to get my money face back on, is remains to be seen. But uh, would you think would you think Turnbull's greatest moment was in the hoops? Oh, it's a tough one because there was a few. Was it the game at Fur Park? Was that last year or the season before? He scores an absolute peach. Yeah, and I think in that same season, do you remember we were playing against Dundee United away, and there was like a long ball. And do you think he meant it when he kind of controls it and it goes up over 
was head, and then he manages to kind of like get it in the spin, nudge it in over the line. That was a beautiful goal. If you saw it, is it Dan doing that or Dennis Bearcamp? He'd be standing up and applauding. Aye, aye, he had a few. I mean, it's probably hard to think him scoring a bad goal, but I found it quite interesting as well. See, at the weekend, as, as much as obviously he's no here anymore, and like, you can argue whether or no he was that's the right decision and whether or no he was contributing. What I found quite interesting is at the weekend, like, the, the Bucky Thistle game a couple of weeks ago, um, Odin Tiago home got the nod and he started and he played relatively well. I know it's only Bucky Thistle, but he still, he still played relatively well. And then you're going into the weekend and home was on the bench, but it was Turnbull that got the nod ahead of him. And obviously Turnbull came on and stank the place out. So I don't know. I, th- I don't know if, if it was just, to, I mean, two million for a guy with six months left in his deal is probably too good to turn down. But uh, it was it was a weird gen how, how we got on ahead of home at the weekend. Mm. Strange, strange, strange. But we do have a game tomorrow, Gavin. And we're... We're playing Aberdeen at Batodre. Obviously, they've sacked by Robson. I think the front runner at the minute is Neil Lennon. And the, the vast majority of Aberdeen fans, quite surprisingly, would accept that. Um, is, <laughs> I, if, if, if anyone's seen the score predictor, I predict it to be 1 8, and I still stand by that. And look, it's for various reasons that we've probably talked about a lot tonight in terms of just the squad overall and the style of playing that. But, Gavin, Coming to yourself here, coming up to Batodre, we we have we have in the past have good fortune up there with good games up there. Quite competitive has been to and fro, and obviously a bit of uncertainty with them as a club at the minute. I think they made the right choice, second by Robson, with the tools he was given in the summer recruitment to back them. Dave Cormick, to be fair, has always put his money where his mouth is in regards to Aberdeen. Any concerns going up there tomorrow, the Batodre for the lunchtime kickoff? Not as much concerns as what you do. No, no. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think I said in the predictor that we would win maybe two one. Um, yeah. That actually, make, on on reflection, no, I, I think it, it potentially could, potentially could be a comfortable win for us, despite the fact that up for us as fans, our chips are down. Um, ironic because that, going into that Ross County game. We actually felt worse after it than we did before, despite the fact that we picked up the three points. Um, but I think, um, on reflection, I'm getting more and more optimistic about tomorrow. I think we'll win, but I think it might be more comfortable than what we give ourselves credit for. Um, perhaps the second half. Hopefully we've got breathing space going into the second half. Um, I want to see is get that two-goal lead uh, as early as possible. Difficult it is to say that. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think um, I think we're, we're writing off our team right now because we're understandably pessimistic, but I think they'll do us proud tomorrow. Yeah, McGrandy comes in. Everyone was hap- was was cock a hoop when Rogers came back. Even the panel were behind him when Anz left the team. We're mostly injured, but I blame the board and and, and totally on board with that one. Grandi was spoken enough about that as well. Um, in terms of the, the game of the Mar James, you've joked about it. Burnaby at left back for Batodre Easter Road gives you the shivers, and look. People are telling me to stop, Robert Davies, Stephen, stop. I've said one each, I have to stick to it. I can't back out of it. I can't. I've, I've said it. I was raging last week after the Ross County game, and I think I've said it probably out of frustration. But it's on the score predictor, so I have to kind of stick with that one. Um, the way I look at this, look, Aberdeen are a decent outfit. They've got some good players. Mayofsky, uh, Duke, uh, Pavara, the midfield player, is quite good. Uh, Connor Barron, I know they rejected a bid 
very late on from I think it was Swansea for Wolves or something for five hundred K for him. Um they've got good way players and a solid defence where they play well. Jansen, for example, I think he's like a Finland international and stuff. So they've and Roos, I think he's one of the best goalkeepers in the SPL, probably edge and heart in my opinion. But Todry, Gavin's optimistic it's gonna be comfortable. I think the opposite. And I think maybe sacking Rob Robson was a master stroke. The players for me will have a new lease of life, albeit under the same coaching staff, but I think they'll be more kind of enthusiastic, maybe trying things differently, maybe a different formation. We don't know don't know this now because it's the unknowns. It, it could be the potential banana skin cliche, but how are you feeling about it? Uh, I, I, I've I've got concerns, but I think Stephen uh, was it Stephen John. I I think that kind of is where I'm at as well. I think it could be beneficial that we're we're away from him. Um, it's no, it's not been great. Obviously, at Parkhead the last couple, of, last couple of weeks. Um, it, to be honest, I think our better perform- performances this season, by and large, have, have been away from him. It's probably except for Aberdeen at Parkhead, funnily enough. But um, I went for three two, and I think I stand by three two. I think Miofsky is absolute nail don't he score? Um, after obviously been been linked to him for most of the summer, I think that's a dead set. Did you see his goal? Did you see his goal? He got chalked off against Hearts. It was a page. That was an uh, absolute peach. Oh, it was a cracker, mate. If you get a chance, watch it. It was oh, incredible. No seen it, but I think he he's a certainty to score. I know we I know we were kidding on about the Burnaby thing, but we can't play Burnaby. Uh, stick McCarthy at left back. Let McCarthy earn his wages this week. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, we, we cannot we cannot play Burnaby. Um, uh, James, see see if Hatati was fit, I would play Hatati at left back. A hundred percent, and I, I know. Um, we done that last year, and I've heard kind of people saying that we can't do that because you're taking away your best midfielder, and yeah, but it's it's would be needs must, but obviously it, it can't happen. I, I would not. Burnaby cannot play for me. It's got to be either Frame or Tony Ralston or just fucking go with ten. But Burnaby is, is as I said in the group chat, he's like a dog chasing a wasp, and it just. No, the the thought of it, just having to watch him again, gives me the fear. Um, but I've went three two, and I, I stand by that. But I, I, what about what do you think would be interesting? Would be to see the forward line that he goes with. Um, whether he goes. Well, give me your lineup prediction. What would what would you go with tomorrow? Um, Hart, uh, Hart, Johnson, Scales, Navrotsky, fucking Hoopy. I'd play Ralston. I'd play Ralston at left back. Um, Bernardo O'Reilly McGregor forward lines are hardening. Um I don't think he'll play either for the start so I think it will be Kyogo but Abada wasn't great last week so will he play Kuhn there or Palmer arguably was even worse after the back of the two penalties he probably would drop, deserves to be dropped alone so I'll, I'll go Palmer, Kyogo and Kuhn start the game Namura yeah, I think that's that, that's fair enough. And I mean, Kuhn could come in and do a job. Franny is asking me to tell you what, what my prediction for Burnaby was. And yes, I did set the start of the season. He would be the first choice left back by Christmas. But look, for things can... Yeah, things can change. And the, reason, the reason why I said that was because I thought he was in the mould of a Rogers fullback, getting up and down, energy, pace, trying to space, getting to the byline, whipping in crosses. And his, def- his defensive work was suspect at the time, but I thought maybe Rogers 
as he always said, could develop players and coach them. And maybe Burnaby would do better than that. But I was totally wrong in that prediction. Greg Taylor is still the number one left back at Celtic Football Club. But Gavin, what's your your lineup prediction for tomorrow with Pataudry? Can I just ask on the back of that? <clears throat> Taylor had his best season last year, did he not? Under Ange. Mm-hmm. Why did you expect such a reversal in fortune for Taylor? Well, because he's not a he's not a good traditional fullback and Rogers played with traditional fullbacks of us the first time with Tierney and Lustig and, and people of that ilk and and I think he's kind of compromised and that Taylor still kind of continue that inverted role in a roundabout way w- within the team. I don't think that's necessarily his go-to. I think he wants a fullback that can do what Alistair Johnson does on the right-hand side, albeit Johnson hasn't been great, but he can get up and down. He can whip in a ball and get, get involved with playing the right-hand side. And that's why I thought Burnaby Gavin might be that guy because what Taylor lacks, I think Burnaby has in terms of pace, getting to the byline, whipping in a ball, where Taylor, for me, is more effective being in the middle of the pitch and being intricate and playing the kind of through needle passes and, and linking up play that way, which he was fantastic under Postecoglou that final year when he was there. That's the reason why, I, I, for me, Rogers doesn't play in for the fullbacks. I, I know, I, I know, um, he, he, may, he may have done it before with Emery Khan. I think he referenced that never pull it right back. He, he kind of brought him in and and played him centrally, but that's the only time I can remember he done it. But mm-hmm. okay, um, yeah, that is fairly logical to explain the, the loss in form for Taylor. I get that change in style, less of the inversion. Yeah, it kind of nullifies his strength. So I get that. I get that. Um, have, so have you gave up drinking bleach since you said that, Stephen? I mean. <laughs> I, I do like bleach, mate. It's it's different kinds, <laughs> different kinds. No, me. Sorry, sell a bang. Is that bleach? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so my my, my lineup <laughs> for tomorrow, um, well, Hart, Johnson, Navroki, Scales. I think that I would rather better the devil, you know. And that's not even a good phrase because. Who knows what Burnaby is going to do? I was going to compare that to 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 Rousen. Rousen, you're bringing bringing him in from the cold on his his ill favoured side. Maybe he James good, is right. Maybe James is right that you'll get a a six out of ten for Rousen. Six out of ten. Um, he's got a better defensive brain than Burnaby. Maybe I should actually defer it. James's suggestion for that one. I was going to say Burnaby. Um, I, I would. I think. I think. I think Rogers will play Burnaby. That's who we'll see tomorrow. So I will take the easy answer for left back of what Rogers will do. Um, midfield it picks itself. O'Reilly, uh, Bernardo, and Callum McGregor. And up front, well, that's a difficult one. Kyogo will be the the, the centre forward. Kuhn, yep. I think, has has to start. Um, the last week. I thought Abada was shite, okay? And we posted it in the group chat, this guy who did analytics of um, Abada not making the runs, not not having a good first touch. For, oh, for, remember? For, oh, my God, the Fred, the Twitter Fred. Oh. It, it, was, it was insightful. It was insightful. Um, and you're like, like Ange would do is not at that. So, like, making the right runs, the, 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 the selfless runs, just to create space for your teammates to drive into. He wasn't doing that. He was kind of doing what Burnaby does. He's like, it doesn't know what he's doing. Um, that that's first goal. First goal, Gavin came from Burnaby, man. 
the frustrating thing is this is this is about his third season with us and he continually demonstrates um uh, a mediocre football brain. Uh, he, he annoys me because he's got pace to burn, but he he gets stage fright. Whenever he's got a defender facing him, he gets stage fright. If he's got all the space in the world, he'll run into it and he'll look like a world beater. But you put a you put a scarecrow in front of a badder, then he'll 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 check and play a, a sideways pass. Um now the other thing which I, I, I think I was the only guy in the chat last week. Um, I was raging with Palmer in that game at Ross County. Raging. So was I, Mel. Um, I, I said that he can't beat a man. And I was saying, well, we, we already know that he can't beat a man. And the only thing that he was good at for was set pieces. But then he, 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 he fluffed <laughs> two penalty kicks. His crossing is erratic. It's fucking erratic. He's been watching too much of Maida. But there's something there about Palmer. And somebody put it in the in the chat and this in this um in the comments about an hour ago. If Maida plays with better players or one reason or another, or if he's provoked to up his concentration levels, then we might see the true um Palmer. Sorry, I don't know if I said a bad either. Talking about Palmer. We can I think Brendan Rogers, if he really concentrates on Palmer, then he can eke out more of his potential. He's a I think he's a naturally confident guy with the ball at his feet. Uh, he can, on his day, he looks very, very impressive. But he's got terrible pace. He's got the pace of a pensioner. Um, Palmer. Yeah, Palmer. Ah, uh-huh. oh, fuck yeah. He can barely, he can barely go down the line. And he looked impressive in his first few games for Celtic because people are, oh, he's an unknown quantity. I don't know what he's going to do. But then people realised, well, he's going to come inside. I'll just match him for pace and then inside, shoulder, shoulder barge him, and then I'll get the ball. That happens so often. Palmer's very, very frustrating. So I don't know if I'm going to play Palmer tomorrow if it was up to me. I think Kuhn would definitely play. If Maida was here, Maida would definitely get the shot. I think Palmer needs some bench time. Palmer needs to to rethink his life, his career, what he's doing. <laughs> it's really, really frustrating me. Gavin, do you know, I appreciate that so much because I've been saying this since he signed. There's just something that's not right about him as see, a footballer, in my opinion. Do you know, see, I, I, I am no defending last weekend. That was a joke. I mean, with the penalties, the, the second one, Either McGregor needs to pull rank and take the ball off him, or the second time if he's adamant he's hitting it, just take the mentality, the mental side out of it, and just even if you're putting a corner, just put your laces through it. Hit it as hard as you can, and if the keeper saves it, it's a good save. Today the same thing twice is madness. But do you know think that overall we are quite heavily reliant on Palmer? Like, I feel for me when I'm watching is it feels as if kind of like. 90% of our attacks go down Palmer's side, and he does cut in all the time, like, we know that, but I feel as if like, his deficiencies are only obviously kind of further highlighted through the, the, the kind of over-reliance on him, and I think obviously his numbers, and look, I'm no one of the, you know, his numbers are excellent, he should keep playing, that's no me, but I, I think that kind of backs up the, the over-reliance on him when you compare it to whoever it is that's playing on the other side. Um, but that being said, as I say, I still I can't defend them for last week. There's for me, there's something missing from Palma to be that that footballer. You're like, wow, like, you know that that, that. Go ahead. I, I, I think I I said this before, and look, this probably isn't as much as a 
a bad thing as other people will take because I defended him probably more than I should have. But do you know, think he's like a slightly better version of Haxabanovich. Yeah, yeah. Sli- slightly. I say to be fair, if we give Haxabanovich a run the team, I think he'd probably produce round about the same numbers. If I'm honest, I say, everybody else will take that as a, a bad thing. I, I quite like Haxabanovich. I kind of defended him semi regularly. And Stephen made the point we, we were talking about Palmer a few weeks back, talking about his deficiencies. And Stephen, you made the point about maybe he'd be more suited to a central position. But I think as soon as you you take up that central position, there's a bigger emphasis on physicality, athleticism, defending as a team. Uh, And I totally agree. I don't think he can chip in in that department. So he's stuck in that left wing and he's going to have to to think again. Yeah, it's 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 just a strange one. And look, his numbers are great. It paints a different story when you look at the stats, doesn't it? But when you watch him do the eye test, you're like, yeah, there's something missing there. But look, fellas, we're going to do a quick quiz. We've been on two hours here, four minutes. And by the way, 75 still live. I think that's fantastic. Thanks, everyone who stuck with us and is still commenting. We're going to do a quick quiz between uh, Gavin and James. It's five questions. Uh, first, the, the free, whatever wins it. There's no prize. It's just pride. Are you ready? Yep. Uh, so right. we be quick off the mark. Can you see the answer? Will you shout it out loud? Yeah. Right, okay. Or I can come to these in. I'll come, do you want me to come to these individually? Would you rather add? Yes, no, please. Just, oh, right, individually. Right, no worries. Gav will know more, will know more about the other things than me. <laughs> right. Question one. Which club did Alan Shearer win the Premier League title with? I'll come to you, Gavin, first. <laughs> Blackburn Rovers, fuck's sake. Yeah, I could have took that one. Fuck, that's a tapper, I Blackburn. <laughs> right, so one each. Right. Question two. Red Bull own a football club based in which Austrian city? Salzburg. James? Salzburg. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. Uh, that's two eights. By the way, we're going to do for- shouting out because it feels, feels like James can piggyback off Gavin no, no, here. No, we no, no, that did. That was <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I, so it's I'm two just surprised then. after a couple of weeks ago, it's Bucky fiasco that you didn't think Red Bull was a city. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. This is going to follow you, Steve. Question three. Which player... Had 13 years between his two Champions League wins, 1995 and 2008. Karen Seedorf. No. Gavin, it's over to you. He won it in 95. And in 2008? Yeah. That's a good question, man. 95 and 2008? And he won it both as a player, not, yeah. not as like a manager. As a player, as a player. Oh. Do not look at comments, please. Please do not look at. I know you are watching on YouTube or you have it on. Please do not look at comments. I've looked at the comments. Well, I, I, I genuinely I, I, was I, going I, to see as in the comments amongst many others. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the same. A, a goalkeeper. Yeah. Right. That was. So you, did you see it in the comments though? Yeah, yeah, doesn't count. Doesn't count now. I was really? I was working after the, the Ajax team. That was where I get see Dorfey, and then my next thought was Van der Sar by Man United. No, fair, fair, by the way, fair play for a minute. I take that. Right. <clears throat> Question four: In what year 
was the Women's Football Association established in England? I couldn't care less, man. James. <laughs> Fucking. Uh, what? 1995. Nine, 1969. These are both fucking shit. That. It does bear with me. Question five. This could be the decider. There's two each here. Question five. Right, let me see. I want to pick a hard one for you. Right, question five. Which striker was the first to score more than 20 goals in the Premier League for five consecutive seasons? Sorry, sorry. Scotland or England? Uh, Scotland. No, England. Sorry. Right, repeat the question if you don't mind, please. <laughs> right, which striker was the first to score more than 20 goals in the Premier League for five consecutive seasons? In the Premier League? EPL. Uh, Andy Cole. Andy Cole. Nope, over to you, James. Premier League, Premier League. Wow, I'm between two, Wayne Rooney. Nope, Tenerio Omri. My next one was Aguero. No, Henri was the first to do that. Right, so this can be the decider here. Question six. Reese James spent the 2019-20 season on loan at which club? Is that the, the, the Chelsea? Chelsea player, yeah. Um, Preston? Oh, nope. so I was going Over to say, I was going to Preston, so no bother then. <laughs> um, uh, can I Google it and kid on a Hovney Googled it? Absolutely not. Uh, Bolton Wanderers. Wigan. Ah, oh, fuck, I knew that. I did know that. We, we keep going for a while here. Uh, <laughs> stay, <laughs> on next, stay on the next Friday. <laughs> oh, question seven. Which manager gave Gareth Southgate his England debut? Terry Venables. Boom. Did I get to say Done. Terry Venables and then equalise it then? No, absolutely <laughs> not. First to shut down that aspect, Galvin won 3 2. But lads, that brings us to the, the end of the podcast. Have you enjoyed it? Very much so. By the way, that flew in. Really, really flew in. I, I was the same. I couldn't get away with that when you said it's been two hours. <laughs> it's been good crack though I do want to say again with 70 lives still I think that's fantastic for us and people are still coming and getting involved in the in the chat I think Monty went with Jerry Adams I don't know where that would have fitted <laughs> in but it, I mean to be fair you can probably say Jerry Adams for a lot of things but then he would deny it so we, we don't know the full truth don't we we'll never, we'll never will but I do, I do want to say on uh, until Monday when we're back with a regular uh, flagship podcast and obviously don't miss the double pivot on a Wednesday but Monday we'll be looking back at the Aberdeen game at Pataudry and hopefully it's not the one each and it's the comfortable victory that Galvin's uh, talking about and until then stay well and keep safe. Heel heel. Okay.